Lawrence. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, good, you, good, good. You could, I, I, it's nice to see your lovely face, but you can turn off video. <laughs> no. I, I mean, this is my, fr- I'm a, listen, I'm a, I'm a podcast rookie, so. Well, the first thing you should learn about podcasts is that they are, uh, they are an audio format. <laughs> okay. There we go. And that, and there's, and the only reason for me telling you that is uh, just to save bandwidth. Uh, because if, yeah. you know, it takes a lot more to send pictures. Uh, Benjamin, are you there? Uh, oh, oh, we don't curse on podcasts. Um, well, crap. Um, ah, here we go. Hello, Benjamin. Yes, Benjamin uh, Lawrence. Are you still there? I'm here. All right. Oh my gosh. So, so I apologize. Uh, I'm. I, it's been a while since I've done a multiple person call, and I I just hung up on you, Ben, and and then called Larry, and then um uh, had to figure out how to call you without hanging up on Larry. So we're all good now. We're all here. Cool. Is your is your call recorder? Recording mine is grayed out uh, oh, as per Merlin. As so per Merlin, check. yeah. No, no, I'm I, good. I'm good to go. Okay. I'm rocking and rolling. I'm greens and yellows and reds. All the all the record all the best recording. And I also had I also had Larry turn off his video, um, uh, because <laughs> I mean because, I, I, I I'm sorry I didn't I could have been doing this I could have been sitting here in my underwear doing this. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, we well, are. For all I know, Larry, I just saw you from the from the waist up. You could be in your underwear. That's, could that be in is your underwear. true. That is true. Yeah, I uh, what I what I usually do is uh, so I'm I'm recording this from my from my office, um, not my not my home office, but my actual like on campus or somewhat on campus office. So what I usually do, Larry, is is come in and just like take my <laughs> off. Like I walk into my office with my pants on, and then you'd be like, "Wow, it's a podcast. So I got to take these off." Um, actually, so. So that is not true for those who uh, might be listening and who also share a suite with me. That would be um, breaking certain rules, I'm sure, even oh, if yeah. the door was closed. Uh, it would be, be terrible. Um, but, uh, but I do take my shoes off. I'm, I don't have shoes on right now. I like to, I like hmm. to record a podcast barefoot. Hmm. Just, oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah, just let my just let my my, uh, my toes breathe a little oh, bit. Speaking, yeah. of, speaking of barefoot, now here's an interesting connection. Um, uh, do you know who also also who likes to uh, give his lectures barefoot? No, this is somebody uh, that you guys both know. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I can't wait. Who who, who could it be? Well, uh, let's just say it's a Canadian Rutgers connection. Oh, Mike, uh, Michael Rogers. Michael Rogers. There we go. Michael Rogers. I did not know that. Oh, walk in on him next time he's lecturing. See if he has his I shoes will, on. I absolutely will have to do that. Also, he, also he does not wear like- socks. <laughs> <laughs> This has turned into a totally different podcast. <laughs> uh, I I I don't know. I don't know what the sock situation is. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I, I can. If, so here's here's a promise to you. If you invite <laughs> me back for at least one more podcast after I've been able to observe, I will be able to report back. All right. I like that's a good deal. We'll see how this one goes. But no. <laughs> but, but I like. I mean, that's that's on the table. I'm a fan. I like that. I like that. Larry, I don't know if you know this. We, I think we actually talked about this in the last episode. Wait, wait, before, before we, before we get into this, yeah. um, before the actual podcast starts. No, yeah. no, it's already started. I got, I get. There's a it's curse. The there's a curse. I got. Yeah, it's in the show. It's in the show. I there's a there's a curse uh, curse word I got to edit out. But um, <clears throat> but um, but that was before you joined the call, Ben. Um, uh, oh wait, actually, yeah, it should all be on the same call. Anyway, um, so uh, apropos, um, oh. Crap. Um, see, now I, I did this fantastic buildup, and then I forgot what I was going to say. 
Oh, this is this is this is how you make a quality podcast, kids. <laughs> Were you going to talk about how Larry got on the show? Oh Who no, Larry no, I, I know. I wanted I wanted to query. I wanted to query uh, Dr. Goodridge about his um, podcast, uh, you know, background. Like, for example, Larry, do you consider yourself a podcast listener? Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, very infrequently. Okay. Have you? <laughs> I have. I have. I, and, and to be honest, the only podcast that I've listened to is is yours. Oh, well, oh. that's the right. Aww. That's the right answer. See, the next question was going to be: Do you have you ever listened to this podcast? Because yes, I have. There are yes, certain, I have. There are certain other people that want to be on this podcast that have never that don't listen to podcasts and have never listened to this podcast and yet still insist that they be invited to come on the podcast. So, good for you for at least listening to at least part of an episode of this podcast at some point in the past. Well, as you guys know, I've been lobbying to come on this for a long time you have, now. You have, you have, for some time. and 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 I. This is this is exciting to me. I'm I'm being dead serious. This is this is <laughs> this. No, I'm not joking at all. This is exciting. I'm, this is the the podcast. The, you know the the food safety podcast that everybody knows about and. And so this is very exciting. Well, it's because it's the only food safety podcast I think. Well, that's not true. Food Safety Talk Matters is another podcast. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, Carl Winters has some songs that have a lot of popularity in iTunes. But yeah. <laughs> I listened to something else. There was another podcast. Let me see if I can find it. But there was something else that, um, that I listened to about eight minutes of two weeks ago, and it wasn't, wasn't great. Uh, it was, uh, yeah. I don't you, I, I think I sent you guys a, uh, or I retweeted uh, somebody's tweet about the top food science podcasts, and and you guys were ranked number one. We were in there. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. So see. So that's so good. Here you go. That's good. Welcome to the. I, I was introduced at a um, high school uh, <laughs> talk on food safety uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, the person who invited me, um, her, her name is Jody Riedel, and, and she, I think, sometimes listens to the podcast. She's a agricultural teacher at Wakefield High School in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. She um, introduced me as uh, co-host of the number one food safety podcast in the uh, food safety podcasting space, and she said, uh, "Number one out of one." Uh, which I thought was a really great introduction. And I had to mention to her, I was like, that's a, that's a fantastic, uh, intro, but I, I need to correct you and say that it's uh, number one out of two, uh, podcasts. <laughs> we are, uh, we are ranked highly, uh, higher than, than at least one other, but that, but food safety, we, uh, I say that in jest, uh, food safety matters. We, uh, both Don and I have been on that independently and together. And, um, I like that. Uh, I like the podcast. I think uh, Food Safety Magazine and uh, Barbara uh, do a really great job with that one. Right. And there's there's also uh, My Food Job Rocks, which is a food science uh, podcast. And But, you know, my, my philosophy, Ben, <clears throat> I like to follow the, the sage advice of, uh, of Jerry Garcia, who said, uh, you don't want to be the best uh, in the world at what you be, do. You want to be the only one that does what you do. And so right. I, I think we, we are the certainly the only food safety podcast uh, that you and I do. <laughs> yeah. We're the, the only one. Yeah. Um, regularly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, 
so so Larry. Um, all right. So this is uh, this is a good uh, a good little start for us. We we usually talk about things. I have non food safety things I want to talk about, but first we should really introduce our our guest because um, we have we have so few guests, um, and most almost all of our guests, uh, really except for one or two maybe, have been like close friends of ours. And Larry fits that uh, that description. Larry's a uh, Dr. Lawrence, uh, or as he's known in. Uh, um, these circles, Larry uh, Goodrich is um, a professor at uh, the University of Guelph. And well, he's not just um, a professor. Ben, ben a, give his give his full title. He's the Lung Family Professorship in Food Safety Professor at Guelph. He is. He he is. He is. And, um, and, and thank you, thank you to the Young family for supporting my employment. Exactly. That, do you have to say that every time someone says? <laughs> well, you, you know, if they ever, if they act, end up listening to this podcast, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Thank them. I I agree. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Larry, um, Larry, I'll I'll let you uh, sort of introduce yourself more than than I will um, in a second. But Larry is someone who I've known for for a long time uh, since I was a graduate student similar to uh to don and i say that that's like over well over a decade ago um and larry was uh, uh we he and i crossed over at the university of guelph um but i don't i i'm i knew i knew of you and we didn't really know each other um there but when uh you you went elsewhere um and people that that i knew and was uh with at guelph um you know our, our friend doug powell and uh, sarah wilson who uh, now works for the ministry of agriculture in ontario um they introduced me to you i think at an ifp like in san diego or, or maybe phoenix or something so um anyway i've known i've known larry for a long time and, and we've uh uh, qu- uh, quickly uh, be, uh, become uh, good friends, and that was a long time ago. Um, so, so let me let yeah. me let me just say, Ben. I want to I want to give one fact about Larry, uh, and then I want Larry to kind of give us a run through on his uh, bio because unlike. Uh, you or I, he has worked at a lot of different institutions, and, and I think it might be interesting for our listeners to, to hear about that. Um, so the one fact I want to share about Larry is that he can, like like no other person, he can rock a short pants suit. And there, oh. uh, there are pictures on the internet somewhere of Larry wearing a suit, but the bottom of the suit is shorts. And I, not a lot of people can... Ca- ca- pull off that look, but, but Larry is somebody who can. So Larry, with that set up, why don't you tell us about your academic career? And, and that is a fact. That is a true <laughs> that is fact. A fact. And, and actually, you know, that, that, that particular suit, unfortunately, um, has been retired because um, of um, weight issues. That uh, the suit, that got, the suit that, got too heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. So, however, however, you know, I am, uh, I am, I am. I, I think I'm in the market for another another short pants suit. So nice. So you know, when that happens, uh, certainly the two of you will be among the first to be notified. <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt that will be the case. <laughs> so uh, let's see. So by way of 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 background um so as as don says i have moved around quite a bit i i started out uh, with my education at, at the university of guelph i did all my degrees there and then I, I went to the university of georgia for a postdoc and then faculty positions at the university of wyoming and, and colorado state 
University, and then I moved back to Canada in 2013 to McGill University, and and this past January, I moved back to to Guelph. And it's interesting because because those uh, all of these these positions have been in in, in pretty um, diverse geographical areas. It's really colored the research that I've done, the foods that I've worked on, um, and uh, and really helped shape my overall view of, of food safety. Cool, cool. What kind of what kind of stuff are you doing right now? What are you? Uh, what's your what's your area? What's your bailiwick? Well, you know, uh, that's a good question. I'm still... Um, <laughs> Anything the Leung family wants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Le- Le- Leung, just call them up and say, uh, Larry, today we want you to do uh, 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 best before dates. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, actually, the, the, the family has a background in fresh fruits and vegetables. Ah, okay, cool. So, 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 which I, I've, I've, I've had the, the work on... Um, over over my career, so so certainly some of that. But this is a good time to, to kind of take a step back and, and look at the whole uh, food safety universe, if you will. And I think um, one of the things that really interests me is the fact that you know we really have not advanced our approaches to detecting outbreaks more quickly, and and as we see um, these large multi-state multi-provincial international outbreaks continuing and, and as our ability to detect them um, because of genomics increases um, I, I really think we now have this opportunity to try to ask whether or not we can identify outbreaks much faster than, than the current case uh, and, 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 and I think if we can do that that will really dovetail well with some new emerging technologies on the traceability side and so that's something that that I'm that really interests me, and, and looking at using uh, social media. This is something that Ben and I have, have talked about recently in the last year. Um, looking at at uh, sampling sewage um, as a as a indicator of uh, sampling sewage for the presence of foodborne pathogens as a as a potential indicator that an outbreak is happening. And, and certainly there have been some recent publications in that area. Cool. Cool. Um, one of the things that, um, that uh, sort of got uh, wh- what prompted Larry Larry's appearance today on Food Safety Talk was a, a little bit of uh, Twitter uh, back and forth that we had um, uh, a couple of days ago, and and it was really um, uh, related to uh, some work that um, that you had done, Larry. On behalf of uh, CBC, the uh, Canadian uh, Broadcasting uh, Company, uh, uh, which is also home to uh, Don Cherry and uh, used to be who's a, a, a hockey guy, Don, uh, and uh, used to used to be the home, I think, of uh, Mr. Dressup, uh, which was one of my favorite shows uh, growing up. Um, but so, so Larry, I guess um, what you know what we had. Um, sort of gone back and forth, uh, talking about was, was some work that you did that was looking at, um, sort of microbiology and food courts. And, um, and it was, 
uh, spurred by a uh, a comment from the uh, venerable Dr. Oz, the in, infallible Dr. Oz, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and really, there's a, a, a two minute video that we'll link to about um, a shocker if you look uh, for bacteria in uh, anywhere in the environment, including a food court, you find bacteria, um, and and so we were sort of. Uh, riffing a little bit on that with uh, also uh, front of the podcast uh, Mike Batts and um, and and Larry Larry jumped into the discussion and said hey you know what I actually have some data on this and so so that was well well he has some data can you see what I'm doing with my fingers Ben there's some, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I have some results some yeah. results yeah yeah so um, so anyway I guess like we'll we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about uh, about what you did for CBC but just. I think part of the the interesting the part of the story that I want to hear about is how did how did that come up? Like you know, Don and I, um, we we get and and like many of our colleagues in in food safety, we get called by uh, by the media all the time uh, for you know comment on this outbreak or how did something like this happen? Um, one of the ones that uh, Don and I talked to, about here on the podcast probably. Uh, 18 months or two years ago was uh, about a study um, that uh, study, and I'll put that into to finger air, air fingers as well. Um, that uh, Inside Edition, uh, a uh, um, tabloid news uh, um, uh, program, uh, was doing, and they wanted to look at uh, bacteria in milkshakes and, and frozen yogurt. And and so we talked a little bit about like how we would approach that. And, and they, they talked to us sort of, um, independently and we never got to, to the point of where, where I think you did with, with CBC, which was, okay, um, you guys have a, have a question. We're going to, we're going to get out there and, and actually, um, sample to, to help you answer your question. So I guess what I like, what I'm interested in is just tell us a little bit about how that, how did that even come up? Well, and, and actually Ben, let me, let me jump in before we let Larry do that, because I, I think I want to set the, I want to set the stage and I also want to give a shout out to, um, a friend of the pod. Who podcast? Excuse me. Who um, who who pointed us towards this uh, oh, yeah. this Doctor Oz uh, tweet? And um, her name is Jen. She says, "Please uh, share all details freely, but we'll call her uh, Deep Food Court." So she says, uh, "This alarmist two minute Doctor Oz piece has my friends believing that mall food courts are unsanitary." Um, you can click on the link and listen to the listen to the the audio, but but she is, and I don't know how she's managed. Maybe she transcribed it herself. She's actually got the entire audio of the of the video right here in her email message to me. But I, I want to hit the highlights as to why uh, food courts are unsanitary. Um, uh, and and it says uh, you know reading from the reading from the the, the what the, the text of the uh, the audio from the um, the video. Uh, but what if we told you the food court is a breeding ground for bacteria, fungi, and viruses, right? Uh, so right away, um, you know it's going to be a sensationalist piece. So they talk about hot foods aren't being held above 140. Cold foods are not being held below 40. Um, uh, in one case, investigators found chicken that was only 88 degrees right after being served. Well, you know, again, the, uh-huh. the, the, sa- the saving grace, uh, as listeners of this podcast know, is that if it's if it's only out for service for a short period of time, that's not that's not great to keep it at 88. But it probably doesn't mean that you're going to get sick necessarily. Um, 
The other point uh, from the from the Dr. Oz video, uh, the tables. After seeing a maintenance worker wipe down a table, you'd think it would be safe, right? Well, one study found that some maintenance workers are using the same rag to clean every single table. Well, as long as there's sanitizer on that rag, um, it doesn't matter if they're using the same rag. And actually, I want to. We've got some follow up that I want to talk about later in the show uh, from friend of the show, Deep Crimson, um, about about sanitizers and, and the rags used to, for for for. Um, swapping sanitizers onto tables, but that's that's a that's a separate discussion. Um, and then finally, oh, and then here this the other thing they say. Additionally, fecal material and fungus were found on almost every table. Well, of course, I think by fecal and there's no there's no citations, right? But of course, by fecal material, probably what they mean are fecal coliforms, which, as we've discussed numerous times on the podcast, don't necessarily indicate the presence of feces, um, uh, and, and they don't necessarily come from feces. They're just a specific uh, reaction, uh, a biochemical reaction in a test tube that puts them into a category of organisms that we colloquially, colloquially call uh, fecal coliforms. And then uh, the third point, the trays. Uh, similar to the food court tables, this item is rarely cleaned properly. A study found that some maintenance workers are using the same rag to clean every single tray. Uh, the fecal matter and fungus on almost every tray sampled. So uh, again, I mean, uh, you know, this is one one study that's not published in on one food court that, and they're not even managing to correctly identify the organisms or talk about levels or anything like that. So. Um, and what did they say? Well, what, what can you do? Uh, make sure that you use dishes or takeout containers instead of putting food directly on trays. Who, who puts food in a food court directly on a tray? I, I never do that. I mean, anyway, so, uh, anyway, so that, that, that's, that's the brief summary of the Dr. Oz video. But, but now I, I do want to hear about uh, the work that Larry did and, and how he came to do it. So CBC, uh, it was... Basically, the CBC um, <clears throat> contacted me and asked. Um, they were just interested in looking at, um, if, you know, the presence of bacteria in various environments. That they, I think that they thought would be interesting to to their viewership. So the first one they asked about was were subway systems. Um, they wanted us to go. This was when I was at uh, at McGill. And they want us to go into the Montreal subway system and um, see if we could find, just sample some of the most commonly touched areas and, you know, see if we could find things that would be of interest. Um, I think this was during the winter, so they were interested in things like, you know, influenza and and whatever else we could find. But I I can't quite remember why that that didn't happen, uh, but it didn't happen. Um, and then um, subsequent to that, um, they contacted me again and asked if uh, if we could do some sampling in food courts, which admittedly I was more interested in because this is in in, in terms of food safety. This is uh, you know what what uh, what I'm interested in. So so we um, we agreed and we 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 then spent some time talking about the methods. Um, so, so certainly one limitation of, of this study is the fact that uh, we certainly didn't use the methods that I wanted to use in terms of uh, I was very interested in, in using molecular methods um, to to uh, um, to sample. And they didn't have the budget for that. So, so we did use a lot of the biochemical methods that uh, that Don has recently um, t- talked about. So we. Uh, 
we we sampled. We went to um, uh, four food courts in in the in the Greater Montreal area. Um, the other thing, so so you know, when you were talking about the the Dr. Oz story, um, it's interesting because they're mentioning temperatures of foods and so forth. So we 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 only we did not do any of that. We just sampled contact surfaces, um, and and I'm kind of interested to know. One question I certainly would have from that story is how they were able to to do that, how they were able to sample the food, um, because that would seem to require the collaboration of uh, of the restaurants in the food court. When we were sampling, um, this was we were told that this had to be done secretly. Um, so we ha- would have a team of people that would go to the food court. We'd sit at different uh, tables. Um, and and we would observe um, things like, did we see anybody cleaning uh, empty tables? Um, did we see any any customer sitting there doing something that we might assume was questionable from a food safety standpoint? Um, and and then we would sample, try to sample clandestinely, um, and that worked in three of the four food courts. In one food court, we were discovered and chased by security so <laughs> nice. Uh, nice so that was uh, that was that was fun for me but quite dramatic for the uh, for the students who uh who um who were involved um, <laughs> well, this is this is like you know this is i feel i feel like i'm not pulling my weight in terms of food safety because ben has recounted episodes on this podcast <laughs> where he's either encountered irate uh, uh, study participants who were tricked into uh, touching things with germs on them, and, or also uh, loitering outside of supermarkets. So, uh, good, good job, Larry. Well, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to add my, my, myself to the lore of the, uh, of the podcast. Oh, um, I. I- I have one more um, good one on this uh, before we get back to, to Larry's story. I had a student who was looking at um, cooler temperatures, well, leafy green temperatures in coolers during transport. And so she put a whole bunch of coolers in her in the trunk of her car to try and simulate like sort of the worst case scenario at her apartment. And then every um, every couple of hours she would go out and sort of check the data loggers and, um, and see what was up with them. And so she was like, uh, pretty sure that a couple of people from her apartment building, uh, reported that she was cooking meth, uh, out of the back of the car because all these coolers and, and stuff. So is yeah, that, we is did, that how we you cook? Stuff. Is that how you cook meth? I don't even know I, if I, that's I, true. I mean, that's how I cook meth. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I might not be doing it right. <laughs> I Everything about meth cooking I've learned from Breaking Bad. I, I view it as a, a instructional <laughs> documentary. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, so sorry, sorry to uh, to interject. So yeah, so so keep keep telling us the story, Larry. Yeah, so we um, at each food court we sampled a, uh, a total of uh, twelve food trays, and that would include the front, the back, and the sides, the little lip on the side there, um, six tables, and uh, and six garbage flaps. Um, so those are the flaps on the garbage can, like the garbage bin receptacles, where they where they had them. Some food courts didn't actually have the, the garbage flaps, um, and we we just so we sampled with sponges. We we took them back and isolated the the bacteria using classical methods, um, and then we we also did uh, ATP testing on the surfaces as well. 
And in terms of results, there was nothing really exceptional from a foodborne pathogen perspective um, to report. We found um, most of the bacteria we found were gram-positive. Um, most of them belong to um, the staphylococci or streptococci. Um, so, you know, not surprising that those are mainly skin um, bacteria. So that makes no, you know, that doesn't really uh, surprise. Um, we, we, we did find some, some things that surprised me um, in terms of bacterial species. Um, so, so as with what Dr. Oz reported, we, we certainly observed some fecal, potentially fecal indicators. Um, again, as Don said, that's not really anything too surprising because um, while they, they, they could be fecal indicators, they also found in, in a wide uh, array of environments. Um, but we did find um, uh, three three bacteria that I thought were interesting. One one is a species called Gardner, Gardnerella vaginalis, mm -hmm. yep. um, which causes the cause of aging of bacterial vaginosis. Another one, um, Aerococcus uranei, which causes urinary tract infections, and um, Streptococcus constellatus, which um, again, it's, it's part of the normal flora of the body, typically found in the oral cavity, um, intestinal tract, but also the urogenital region. So, you know, perhaps what that suggests is that, is that people are not washing their hands mm -hmm. um, after going to, to the bathroom. And so um, that, that's, that's, um, that was interesting. Um, in terms of interesting observations with respect to customers, um, we did observe one one time at one food court. We observed uh, somebody changing their their baby on on a table, so that was uh, that's a good one, a, a good one. Um, but that was really the 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 uh, the most shocking thing we saw. Um, most of the food courts, uh, the the cleaning staff cleaned the tables fairly regularly. Um, we we didn't observe whether they were using the same or different. Um, cloths. We didn't observe how often they sanitized their cloths or added sanitizer. But that does bring up an interesting point. Um, one of the things that we we suggested from the study was that you know customers um, wipe down their own tables prior to eating. But I note that um, you know most of the disinfecting wipes, or perhaps all of them that I've looked at, if you look closely at the at the directions. Um, I think many people don't understand um, how to use those properly. If you look very close at the at the at the uh, directions, uh, um, at least for one very popular um, brand of sanitizing wipes, they talk about the fact that you have to allow the surface to remain wet for 30 seconds yep. to to kill 99.9%. And if you want to kill 99.99% of of the bacteria and viruses. Um, the surface has to remain wet for 10 minutes and then air dry. So, so you know, another interesting study, if it hasn't been done already, might be to see, you know, just how, how well these wipes work when, when um, used like yeah, how most people would use them. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, so that, that was one kind of interesting kind of side thing that, uh, that I thought about.
Cool. Well, so what we'll, we want to definitely link to uh, the the three unique organisms you found. I captured the first one, the Gardnerella. Uh, what were the other two microorganisms you mentioned? Uh, so the other two were Streptococcus constellatus, um, which is uh, uh, found in the oral cavity, urogenital region, and intestinal tract, and then Aerococcus urinae, which uh, causes urinary tract infections. Thanks. Um, and, and can cause other other things. I mean, most of these bacteria seem to be um, um, opportunistic, right. um, you know, so if, if you're immunocompromised, which I think most bacteria are essentially opportunistic if you're immunocompromised. Exactly, so, yep. Um, so, you know, our, our take from this was... Uh, was um, to CBC was that there was there's nothing really to, to get too excited about here. The one the one comment um, one I, um, I I suppose take home conclusion was that we found similar bacteria on the trays and on garbage flaps in courts where they had garbage flaps, um, which makes sense because you know if you think about it, people touch the garbage flap um, with their tray when they're they're disposing of their food. Um, and so, um, and in some cases on the garbage flaps, they seem to be fairly high levels of the bacteria. So, so you know, I think it would be good for 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 those flaps to not be there. There's no really no reason for them to be there. Um, and then in, in in the food courts that didn't have them, it seemed to be fine. So yeah. So that was that was the one um, suggestion that that I think came out of this work. Yeah, that, and that's and I think you mentioned that on Twitter or it's in the, it's in the CBC article. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Like what what's the purpose of those flaps? They're, 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 are they keeping the garbage in? Are they are they preventing flies from flying in? No, they're not really probably doing any of that. What they are doing is they are collecting germs. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And I always I always wonder about that when I go to put my trash into Actually, mostly I think about it on airplanes. Uh, when I go to, you know how the airplanes have that little closable flap thing uh, for the, at least on the, the United uh, planes that I fly, um, have a little closable flap uh, and you have to, if you want to throw away your towel after wiping, wash, you know, wiping your hands, um, you, you have to kind of push past that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I always think about like, well, gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to really not want to touch that. So I'm going to kind of use the towel to push it, push it down through um, and get past it. And the same thing with, uh, yeah, with flaps on the, on the, the, the garbage containers in food courts. So yeah, that's, I think that's a real practical thing that would definitely uh would definitely benefit food safety yeah yeah so but but you know as i as to reiterate other than that there was nothing really shocking here and i think cbc also asked uh, another independent researcher and that was their conclusion as yeah, well was, so yeah they, they, in the in the article here they they talked to epidemiologist uh, caroline kwok of the montreal children's hospital and she says uh nothing in the results demonstrates any risk to public safety i wouldn't say I don't like it when people say any no risk, right? It's like, well, there's it's it's low, it's as it's as risky as anywhere else, right? Guess what? There's bacteria, right? There's bacteria in places, and most places where you're going to go, there are going to be bacteria. <laughs> but right. but there's no reason to stop eating at a food court uh, versus a uh, white tablecloth uh, fancy restaurant versus a McDonald's versus your own kitchen, right? They they all have bacteria, <laughs> right? And and we're never gonna get rid of the bacteria. Probably um, not. <laughs> yeah, not. We're not. Um, so, so what? I, I, this is the the stuff that is, I like. I, I'm I'm fascinated by the science, uh, but I'm also fascinated by the the 
um, relationship and conversation between you and, and CBC on this. And so, you know, uh, uh, from the outside and, and being sometimes in, in these situations, um, I, often the, the media outlets like, oh, there's a story here, right? Like, like you said before, you know, people are getting sick from the subway. Let's go look there. People are getting sick from you know, food courts. They look dirty. Let's go, let's go see if, if they are dirty. And, and I think the 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 bi- the bias or the goal or the want on on the media standpoint is um, they like we we think they're really dirty and yes look at all the stuff that we found right like that's that's where um, the majority of the conversations go and 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 Don and I and, and Larry you do you do a lot of media work as well I think a lot of times when when we're approached with these types of questions the you know the the answer is well like like you you just characterize yeah there's a lot of bacteria out there um are they public health concern pathogens no um and even the you know the staph aureus that that you mentioned um as this uh it's you know staph aureus absolutely uh, can be a foodborne pathogen finding it um, transferred from someone's face or from someone's hands uh, onto a tray. Um, okay, it's there, but it needs to be introduced into a into a food or or some matrix for it to grow and then create a toxin. So it's like one factor uh, is there, and and you know, is it likely to be introduced into something and grow and and secrete this toxin? Pretty unlikely in in the way that people use food courts. But so so what? What was the what was the conversation like with with CBC afterwards when you're like okay well here's the here's what we here's what we found and and you know it's not it's not really um, uh, it, it's it's super 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 low risk and not really a public health concern were they did you get the sense that they were like disappointed did they were were they did they fish for wow what about this or you said fecal you know that's got to be bad right like so so what what was that conversation like. So um, I don't recall it to be any anything remarkable. I, I think um, I'll preface my comments by saying, you know, certainly um, like I think other networks, CBC has um, certain programs, mainly television programs, that um, are, are are tend to be, in my opinion, sensationalist and and and. You know, expose type programs that tend to be a bit sensationalist, right, where right. where they where they play that up. I, I think one of the things that that helped in this case was that this this was uh, we were approached by the actually the um uh, a part of CBC called Radio Canada, Radio Canada, which is um, the French uh, like a French uh, um, affiliate of, of CBC. Um, and so they, and they, they don't tend to have such expose type, um, programs, although they, they do seem to do quite a bit of this type of, of stuff from time to time. Um, so we, we just, um, present the results. I, I don't recall them pushing, trying to, to get me to say something sensationalist. And oh. I, 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 yeah, they just seem to, um, to just accept the results. Um, they came to the lab, they looked and saw what we were doing. They looked at the, bacter- the bacterial colonies we had on the plates and that seemed to, to satisfy them. That, that's cool. That's really like good to hear. And, and it, my, my question is, is more about, you know, some of the other experiences that, that I've had and it's, and it's been, you know, both, both ways where I think the, you know, conversation that I remember having with, with inside edition was like, Hey, they're, you know, you're not, 
if you're going to look for bacteria in yogurt, guess what? You're going to find it. Like, I mean, that's, that's what yogurt's all about. So don't, don't just like report that there's a bunch of bacteria in, in, in yogurt, but let's, let's think about risk and, and being able to, for us to have that conversation, um, with them to, to try and steer it, I think is, um, is good. And then my, my like other extreme of that was, um, a paper that, that we published here a couple of years ago, um, looking at, um, uh, uh, food safety messages in cookbooks and that got a lot of sort of international attention because of some, some UK tabloids that picked it up and, and they're like, to paraphrase the conversation, they, they were like, um, Hey, we know that you found some, some bad messages. That's great. But you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's cookbook was the worst. Right. And, and I was like, wow, no, I mean, they're all pretty, they're all pretty bad. And they're like, yeah, yeah, totally. But what we need you to say is that Gwyneth Paltrow's <laughs> book was the worst. I was like, well, I really can't say that. So, you know, it, it, it you, I, I think, you know, you can, you can have lots of different, um, uh, different, uh, types of approaches from, from journalists. And it's, and it's cool that, you know, that, that in this case it was, it was good. It's like, yeah, here's, here's what we, here's what we did. Um, this is what we found. This is what we didn't find. We, you know, you, you're asking me for some, um, some perspective and analysis on this. Yeah. It's, I'd say it's pretty low risk and, and that's what they reported. So that's, that's cool. Right. And, and, and so your comments are, are very well taken. And, and it's for that reason that I generally don't do this type of work. Um, because, because, you know, um, I, I certainly have, have, I have not, uh, experienced this myself, but certainly I've seen other colleagues, you know, pushed to, uh, as you just recounted, to to try to sensationalize the results. I think where that really comes to bear is in um, is, is during out foodborne outbreaks, um, you know, and, and where you know experts are interviewed, and uh, and and in in, the, in those cases there have been times where I've observed you know journalists trying to play one off against the other. Um, well, this one expert said this. You know, wash this one expert said wash your produce. Right, that will make it safer. But is that really the case? And and so I think that that is a, a, a challenge that that we in this um, food safety space and other spaces have to overcome. Yeah, and I and I want to I want to make sure that um, you know that our discussion doesn't discourage others who listen um, and other like colleagues who are you know in this food safety expert space to not talk talk to the media because I think that if it, someone will right like like they're they're going to they're gonna get um, they're gonna fill the space there's a there's a right. vacuum that that there's a hole in the news and there's an outbreak or there's an incident that happens and and really um, really we need mo- more scientists talking about it and just and just kind of knowing right like knowing a little bit about the I, the game of it or the, the, the approach and, and, and the give and take of what, a, what journalists are looking for and, and what we do as, as scientists, like I, I would, I would much rather, I mean, truthfully, as much as Don, as much as I like getting quoted, I would much rather not like, I'd rather other people do it too. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I'm the only I, one. And, yes. and, and I think, I think you have to be willing to be misquoted or you have to be willing to be pressed. 
Um, yeah. and, and again, I've been in those situations where it's like, we're, how many takes of this are we going to do until I say what you want me to say? And we'll, we can, we can edge all around it and you can try lots of different ways of setting up the question. And eventually either I'm going to settle on some, either I'm going to know exactly what you're doing and I'm not going to say the words you want me to say, or, or I, we're going to get to a point where I, it's a nuance that I can live with that gives you enough of a sensationalist beat for your story. And that's, and th- and you have to want to play that game, right? And and I mean, it's like that. I consider, and I'm sure you do too, Ben. Part of my job at the university, because I have an extension mission, is working with the news media, and and that just means that that's what's going to happen. Just like when um, uh, Fox Five called me the other night and wanted me to talk about whatever they wanted me to talk about, right? And and it was like, well, okay, we're going to do the thing, and I'm going to, you know, we're going to we're going to we're going to give you whatever you need and, and it's either going to be good enough or it's not, but you know what? They'll call me again next time and I'm in their Rolodex and, and like, like you, Ben, yeah, it's good if they talk to more experts, but, but I, but I think the key point is they're going to, they're going to have a point in the story where it's plug in expert statement here. Yes, right. Yes. And, and, and it's either going to be you or it's going to be me or it's going to be some other expert. Um, and it might as well be you or me. Cause at least I know that, you know, we're going to do, um, a decent job and we're going to hopefully show the nuances and hopefully communicate something in it that's clear enough, uh, that it can be, um, uh, that it can, that it can, you know, go down, you know, easy on the, on the six o'clock news or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, and, and like, uh, it's either it's, it, I would rather it be like you said, what, you know, us or someone else who, who we know or who's out there, who's actually doing this work, who, who has a perspective, um, as a food microbiologist or, or as a food safety person and not like, you know, not to like, yeah, totally bang on, on some of the articles that are out there, but not like, you know, uh, an ER doctor from a children's hospital who like they're asking questions about romaine lettuce and, and E. coli because they're like, well, it's a doctor and, and this person's dealt with like, Kid, you know, kids come into the to the ER. It, you know, there's there are there are folks out there that that have really good perspectives on how how food gets contaminated. And, and like and Larry, I mean, you, this is this is exactly what we want to have you on um, uh, today is to to kind of give that that perspective of here's a here's a really like here's a question that has uh, journalistic merit. And, and how do you, how do you, how do you answer that question with, with the, with an approach and, and some of it, like, I mean, you really could have answered that question without, without gathering any, you know, without doing any sampling and, and basically said, yeah, it's, I think it's low risk. Um, and, and we, we've not seen outbreaks linked to it and, you know, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in the, in the short term, like, Hey, they need to insert expert a quote, um, being able to, to actually go out and do some sampling and provide some, some backup and justification is, is, is cool. And it's, that's where I like, I like the idea of, of us, um, in, in our field, sharing this science, sharing this approach, like just talking about, like, as, as you, as you said, okay, we looked at the front, the lip, the back, the sides of, of these trays. Um, just, just that little detail doesn't, doesn't come through in that, in that news article. Um, be, because no one really knows, like when someone says, Hey, we sampled the surface. Okay. We sampled the surface and, and let's move on. It's not, um, people, readers may not even know that, that, that there are nuances to what that, what that means. Um, and, and, but being able to pull back the curtain a little bit on how science 
works and and how it's how it's systematic and how we've got a we have a question that we're trying to answer with with some sort of observable data here you know in sampling and we have to do that in a consistent way and and what are you going to look for and and all that kind of stuff like all the stuff behind that that you know minute and a half news video um, is is good it's good information for for the three of us to share and others to share with people that listen to this podcast who might be asked to do this for their local news because there there are folks out there that 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 do that and I um, and it's it, it, we like you know, like I said we need we need more um, we need more people doing that and playing that game. So all of those comments, both of your comments, I think are extremely well taken. Um, I really like the comment about, you know, that really as, as, as food safety professionals, we really do need to engage with the media because if we don't, um, there's a vacuum and, and others will do that. And so that's exactly why I think, um, you know, podcasts such as this one are so important. Um, Don, your study on the uh, five-second rule um, which, which I think got a lot of attention, um, and and you know, um, was was a, a, a real. I think that's one of the the, the stories that um, kind of went above and beyond food safety because it's it's such a a common um, thought um, in 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 kind of the, you know the public. Um, I think those those types of stories. And the and and the fact that you did a, actually did a scientific study on that are really important because um, it really gets out to the public um, the work that we do um, and and I think it it helps with the credibility of science which which seems to be under attack um, increasingly. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for that, Larry. And yeah, and I did the five second rule um, research, or we did the five second rule research because, in part, because I knew it would generate uh, a lot of attention, uh, but also because I felt like we could do something that would also be scientific and would actually advance our understanding of uh, transfer from. from surfaces to, to foods and, and, and really, you know, elevate the level of discussion, you know, and so, and so I got my wish. We got both of those, both of those things happened. And, and I, by the end of it, I was kind of glad that it was like, it was starting to fade from my, my 15 minutes of media fame because I did a ton of uh, media in a short amount of time, but, but it was overall, it was a good experience. Um, I just, uh, you know, I just wish that I had, uh, I just wish I had more time to do it and more time to, to do more, uh, write up more, more papers and get them published <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of doing podcasts but that's uh, that's my own that's my own choice and it's really not the podcasts that are keeping me from uh from publishing papers it's my own uh, procrastination oh yes i totally understand oh speaking of publishing papers i just do i do want to circle back to the comment from uh, listener uh, deep food court and and she actually goes on and asks some other really good questions in her email, um, uh, saying, well, I, ex- I her, her opinion now, I expect that mall food courts are as risky as other retail food establishments. Am I wrong? Uh, is there any research that might change my mind? And, and the answer is that I gave her is no, I don't think you're wrong. And I don't know of any research that shows that um, mall food courts are any riskier than any other uh, retail food establishment. Um, and then uh, she goes on to ask questions about health inspections and, and what does that say about the actual places where, where she's eating and, and what the risks are. And we'll just use this as an opportunity to link once again to the uh, really good papers from uh, Ruth Petran and Craig Hedberg um, and and, uh, Bruce White um, uh, from University of Minnesota uh, looking at um, uh, actual analysis of uh, inspection reports and prediction of foodborne disease, uh, both both published
published in, in JFP and both. If you're interested in this sort of practical application and the relationship between what things go wrong that actually cause foodborne disease, um, those are two, uh, two great papers to uh, take a look at. Cool. Good, good stuff. Um, the, just following up uh, a little bit on the, on the media side of things before we seal off this, this part of the discussion, one of the things that, that I, the, the way that I approach, um, this podcast and Twitter and, you know, writing on barf blog is, is really kind of the, the same from an outreach standpoint. And, um, it, sometimes these, these things take like they, it takes a, uh, uh, you got to dedicate some time out of your day to to push this information out there, and and the three of us like are you know are relatively active in that in that Twitter space, and and people um, you know whatever whether it's re- retweeting something or or you know uh, just posting something about food safety, uh, sometimes that stuff sticks and and gets uh, moved around and and retweeted and and there's engagements and stuff with it, and that's all that's all great, but that's how I think people find us as well. Like, like the, just being out there in that social media space, creating even just little tiny bits of content, um, that, that, that go out there, um, drives people who like drives journalists to us. Um, so like, how do we, how do we get called? I think it's cause we're, we're out there, um, pushing stuff out. And, and sometimes, you know, I file, I follow there, there's like a, a a, a small group, I think, of health reporters in the U.S. And, and food safety and food safety business reporters, and I think I follow all of them on Twitter, and they all follow me because we've interacted and, and engaged, and that's that's how you get in that Rolodex, right, Don? Like, and it, it's just being out there. So, so if you're, I feel like we're we're like talking about lessons to people who might get into this um, this area. Go out there and and just keep pushing stuff out. Um, and, and then when, when people ask questions, engage with them and, and, and don't, don't just be a lurker if you want to, if you want to help fill that vacuum. Yeah. And I would say too, um, like, yes, yeah, certainly news media people, but also I think that there's a real value of reaching out to the, the nerd community generally. Right. And so that's why Absolutely. I started interacting with Merlin Mann and, and now with, with, with Max Temkin and Alex Cox, because these are people that have a, an audience and they have a, like a nerd audience that's in our demographic in terms of people who care like uh, again one of the one of the things that the deep food court said in her message was yeah as as a, a an everyday person a normal person but who's really interested in statistics here's my take on this what do you think and, and like those are exactly the people that I want to interact with now granted it's better if you if you have the new york times as a platform because you can reach a lot more potentially reach a lot more eyeballs but i'm not afraid to go and interact with just people that have you know uh, just a few followers on twitter or maybe people who have a few um, you know, a few thousand or, or tens of thousands of followers, even though they don't have millions of followers, because guess what? Those are, those are, that's my, it's narrow casting, right? I mean, it's, it's a kind of a, a right. trite, trite phrase, but it's like, those are my people, right? And, and these, and these, these people in the, the nerd community or the Apple nerd community or the podcast nerd community, I mean, th- those are the people that I want to be talking to because guess what? They, they can then go and, and share these, like, you know, again, we had a whole discussion on Twitter about, um, marmots and people, right. getting, people getting on an airplane 
and again, and that that was all thanks to a really funny text message that that Max sent to me that I responded to that he tweeted about, and then I went and found the story and retweeted it, uh, and it got a lot of attention. Now, granted, not it's not like New York Times uh, or Washington Post level attention or or you know CBS Evening News, uh, but guess what? Or you know Good Morning America, but but guess what? There were people that really I think got got a chuckle out of that and maybe got and maybe learned something. And then I, we had some really good discussion with some epidemiology types who were like, well, so what is the difference between um, a bubonic plague that you get from eating an infected rodent and bubonic plague that you get from uh, some other mechanism? And what are the, the the signs and symptoms? And it was a it was a really good and interesting discussion that that kind of evolved over over last weekend um, as uh, as people were reading their Twitter feed. Yeah, and just uh, we'll link to the story and. Um, in show notes, but um, there probably the best coverage I saw from this was uh, from USA Today a couple of days ago, um, and the title of the article is "After Eating Raw Rodents Kidney for Good Health, Couple Die of Bubonic Plague, Spark Quarantine." And so the uh, the story is about a Mongolian couple that died from the plague after eating this raw marmot or marmot meat, um, and there were a bunch of. Uh, tourists that had been um, had come in contact with them. So there was a six day quarantine of 118 people who had come in contact with the couple. Um, and, um, and, and they, you know, the, the individuals who, who died tragically, um, you know, ate that, that kidney, uh, raw kidney because of, um, you know, some, uh, some, uh, a cultural belief in the, in, in the, the strength and power of a, of a raw marmot kidney. Apparently it's pretty powerful. It can kill you. <laughs> yeah, it can definitely, definitely. Kill you. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I agree. I, I think it's good stuff, um, to be able to connect with people and, and meet, meet people. And, and I'm, I'm constantly adding, I don't, I don't do a lot of culling of my, my Twitter list. Um, but I'm, I do spend, um, you know, if I see something cool from somebody that I've not heard from before or hadn't seen, or someone retweets something, um, I'll add those folks and be like, Hey, well, I like, I like what you're putting out here. Um, what else do you have? Um, and ju- just on that, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, segue into a, a tweet that I read this morning, um, early this morning that was from, that was actually from yesterday, but, uh, it was from a Twitter, um, Twitter handle, Abby Beal, who is a dive master freelance science journalist for wired. Um, and, uh, the author of the art of urban astronomy. Um, and Abby tweeted something that I'd never heard of before. And it's cool. And it's, I want to get your, your take on this. It was uh, from the transcripts of the Apollo 12 mission, and um, and so she she tweets on the third day of the Apollo 12 mission on their way to the moon, astronauts gave Mission Control a surpri- surprisingly difficult question. And why do I think this is interesting, Don? You may have already seen this, Larry. I think it's interesting because it's a food safety question. Who knew? Who knew space and food safety? Um, other than, of course, Pillsbury uh, happened. <laughs> All right. So here's the, here's the question. Um, and I'll take out all the like people and, and timestamps and stuff, but basically, um, one of the astronauts asks, how about asking the food experts down there? We had a can of tuna fish spread salad last night and there's about half a can left today and that stuff's still good to eat, isn't it? And the, then the conversation is fascinating because the f- folks at mission control say, yeah, we'll check. I'll be right back with you. Uh, astronaut says, thanks. Then there's a long pause. Um, then, uh, mission control gets back and says, the surgeon suggests you try a new one, new can. 
And then um, the astronaut says, well, Dick has this one in his hot hand and we're just open it last night. You sure that one isn't all right? Um, and then the conversation goes on. Well, hey, we're this is uh, back to Mission Control. We're still checking out with some people down here whether there's any problem over the tuna fish. Uh, but why don't you hold off eating it? Um, and then Mission Control writes, you can't imagine or uh, says, you can't imagine what consternation your tuna fish question is raised down here. We have a whole wide diversity of opinion. So I ask you two uh, to put yourselves in Mission Control's uh, shoes. Um, are you, you're, you, we've got, we got astronauts up there, uh, day old tuna fish, uh, sitting in the can. Do you eat it? Do you tell them to eat it or do you tell them not to? Well, so I retweeted this, uh, and then, um, got to thinking, uh, because a colleague of mine, uh, Paula Chance, who's uh, since retired and passed away, um, was actually at NASA when they were, he's a nutrition, uh, person, but he was at NASA during the time that they developed HACCP and, uh, you know, was sort of one of the, the key people in doing that. That. And I, but, but, and I wasn't sure whether he was actually there at that time. But by the time Apollo 12 was in the air, he had actually he had left NASA and was already at Rutgers University. And then I never got back to the thread to, to comment further. Um, I, I think that maybe the answer that you give is the right answer. The answer that they gave is the right answer, and that is that you know you really shouldn't eat that open tuna. But from a food safety perspective, and of course that's what we would tell a consumer, right? Who call I think would call if we, if called upon us in our extension capacity to answer. Um, but no, the, the risk the risk is relatively small because the tuna, if, I'm assuming if it was in a can, it was already sterile. Um, and then, you know, un- unless they're putting germs that they're already sick with onto the tuna so that it can grow, uh, the risk is, is relatively low. Um, so no, it's, it's, it's fine. It's probably fine to eat it. But again, that's not the advice that I'm going to give to astronauts. Uh, I mean, especially if they, here's the thing, are they starving to death? Do they have to have that? Um, it's our last you know? tuna. Is it their last? Yeah, yeah that, that, you know, you know, is, it, is it the difference between having something to eat and and blacking out from from hunger fatigue? Um, probably best to be safe. But again, the ri- the risk is 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 relatively low, in my opinion. What do you think, Larry? Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I agree with I agree with that. I I agree that uh, the answer would be not to eat it because even though the risk is low, um, they're in space, and if they get sick, that's going to that could severely impact their their survival, not because of the sickness, but because they're not able to pilot their spacecraft. Right, right. Um, so, so I agree with that. But I also agree that the the risk is is would be you know pretty low. Um, but to, but to, why? Yeah. yeah, but why chance it? Right, like that's the, right, yeah. Why yeah. chance it in that scenario? Um, actually, Don, when you said uh, or, or Ben, when you said well. Um, is it their last tuna? Um, <laughs> you know that made me think. <clears throat> you know, if it was their last tuna, and if they were, you know, if they're going to be landing back on Earth in 12 hours, which in, in which case they probably maybe could have gone without the tuna, then then maybe it's okay for them to eat it because by the time they got back to Earth, even if it was contaminated, they'd be back on Earth. That's right. Um, that's there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but uh, <clears throat> yeah. But but obviously, uh, but but and then the other thing that made me think is that perhaps in mission control, uh, they, they you know they have all these experts on the on the operation of the the space vehicle, and they have a a, a physician and so forth. Maybe they need uh, a food safety specialist, especially um, as uh, as NASA you know transitions to to deep space missions. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Well, and and just to 
to, to end this thread, um, how, what the answer is, I think is, is kind of a fun, um, fun outlook, which is, well, this is from mission control. We have a vote that it's okay. And the majority says throw it away. There's a minority report that says everybody can eat it except for Dick Gordon, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, which is awesome. And then over an hour later, a message from Dick Gordon's wife shows up, um, in from mission control. She requests that when you talk, try to be a little funnier. Also, she concurs with the decision on the tuna fish. She definitely was happy that you didn't eat the day old tuna fish. This, I, this thread just made me chuckle. I love it. Cause these are the types of things. I mean, that, that probably the two of you, I, you know, I know Don and I have, have talked about this and Larry, just the fact that you're in our field and that, you know, people that aren't in food safety probably get texts and, and emails and, and people that you interact with that aren't in the food safety world that ask you this kind of stuff all the time. And I just love like, this is, this is one of those stories that I just didn't even, I didn't know anything about. And, and it was just, it was like a, a, you know, a lovely little, little thing to see. Um, and it made me think of a text that I got from, uh, from one of my friends and his, um, his uh, spouse listens to the podcast just randomly, I think. And so she's, she's usually pretty quick on, on either calling me something that Don mentioned or, or whatever. But anyway, he, um, I got a text uh, of a picture of a can of chickpeas that has a date stamp of zero uh, five March, 2018. And this was a text that I got on Wednesday, May 1st of 2019. Um, and the, the question is, I've been tasked to ask you if she can still eat these chickpeas. And my response was, yeah, they're totally safe. And meaning, you know, in, in my, uh, um, you know, w- way to communicate with my friends that isn't like, well, it's not, it's really, really, really low risk. Um, and his response was, that's what I said. Um, so she'll, if she's listening, she'll know, she'll know that I got that, uh, that text and did answer it and that he wasn't, uh, lying, lying to you. But, but these are the, like this tuna fish questions, just like, this is my life, right? Like I get these questions all the time. I loved it. So, so, so let me ask uh, you two experts a question that I've recently thought about. And that is, um, so the plant-based burgers that, uh, are all the rage now. Yeah. Um, do they have to be completely cooked? Well, um, well, com- first of all, completely cooked. What does that mean, right? Does do they well, need to do be? They, yeah. Do they need to be cooked to the the same temperature as one would cook um, a beef burger, for example? So, and John, you go ahead. Yeah. So, I, I think that the short answer is no. Uh, the longer answer is we need more details, right? What are they made from? How is it processed? Um, how is it held? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I mean, you know, if, if, but, but again, the, the short answer is no, they don't, they don't need to be cooked to them. They, they should be cooked for palatability, not for, not for safety necessarily. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I guess the, I, the temperature that we look at for, for burgers, and we'll, we'll give Larry, we'll give you the, uh, the American version here of, um, you know, 155 degrees, uh, for 15 seconds or 160 degrees, um, for, at, you know, sort of instant, um, is, uh, for that, that I think that's a seven and a half log reduction. I, I, I think if you're trying to make that, that burger, as safe as a uh, ground beef hamburger, then you got to know a little bit more about what's the, what are the pathogens that you're likely to introduce to the, through the, through the process? How are you controlling those pathogens? And then what's the validated uh, time temperature combination to address those pathogens? If you think that they might still be in that burger when it gets uh, to someone who's cooking it. And so I, yeah, I, I agree with Don. I think the, the quick answer is, is no, you don't have to cook it. 
Um, but, but maybe there is a temperature. We just don't know about the, you know, the prevalence of the pathogens, um, there, um, right now. Um, or, and I, I say, we don't like the three of us don't know. I, I would assume that like impossible and the other folks that are making this stuff may know that. Well, and, and I would say, I guess it depends on how it's being sold, right? If it's being sold through a fast food operation that also has beef burgers, from a practical simplicity point of view, they may just want to standardize the protocol for all of them so that, they're all, so that there's no confusion, right? Like, oh, am I cooking a beef burger or am I cooking a plant burger? Um, yeah, but I just don't know enough about how they're made and how they're being sold and, you know, what the, what the requirements are. Have you guys, uh, yeah, have you guys had them? Have you, have you tried it? No. I've never tried one, but I'm I'm certainly intrigued. I had one um, at a burger place in uh, in Chapel Hill, and it's it's an interesting like I mean it's it's surprisingly beefy, but but there's something that I couldn't put my finger on that made it not beefy, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like it's it's one of those things where it's like this is very this is very, way closer to what I thought a ham like what it what it would taste like, but it wasn't. Um, I don't know. There was, it was something different and it was, and it was cool. Like, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. It was, um, you know, any, anytime you've got this, uh, um, you know, piece of piece of meat like substance with a whole bunch of like cheese and other burger items, bacon on it. It was, uh, it, it was, it was a good experience. Yeah. I'm just, uh, looking at, uh, some of the ingredients. So one, one particular brand has uh, soy protein and, and, uh, coconut oil. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking at for impossible. It's uh, water, textured wheat pro- protein, coconut oil, potato protein, and then flavors and binders and stuff. And heme. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, you know, I I certainly think it's possible that 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 you know the same the same foodborne pathogens uh, that we're concerned about the 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 stex the the salmonella and certainly listeria um if not if not because of the the actual components of the burger but because of the handling of it could be present i, I think that's that, that there's a potential for that certainly we 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 you know if you're talking about the wheat there are components of wheat we've we've certainly seen seen outbreaks um, in, in, in wheat-based products like flour. So, so uh, yeah. and, and, and it's thought that those, that, that, that had, at least in some of those outbreaks, uh, perhaps all of them, um, with respect to the flour, that the, the, the pathogens were, were present on the wheat in the field. So, so, so it's, it's, it's possible that, that pathogens could be present. Yeah, and oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was reading from the original Impossible Burger ingredients, and now uh, I'm I'm actually looking at the current current Impossible Burger, which is uh, soy protein concentrate. But but yeah, I mean, I guess we need to know how uh, how that wheat protein um, is produced, right? And is it produced in a in a processing step that might inactivate pathogens? Because if, if it's not, then I, as we've discussed before on the podcast, and as Larry just mentioned, well, uh, wheat has been, wheat flour has been implicated um, in outbreaks uh, because of cont- possible contamination. We think contamination in the field with uh, with Estex, uh, so uh, that's the shigatoxigenic E. coli. So yeah, yeah, and and just to like how I think this would be handled, and we've got enough uh, people who listen to the podcast that are um, uh, local and state regulators and FDA folks um, who know about the food code. I think what we're looking at is a plant food that's being cooked, and if it was being cooked for hot holding um, here in the U.S., it would have to be cooked to one thirty-five. Okay. Yeah. 
but but I that's yeah that's just my that, that's my assessment. But that was only if you're going to hot hold it, right? Like so, if you're just going to cook it for service, um, then I I think like you said, Don, you're just you're heating it not for safety reasons, but for palatability. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um. Oh, we got we got other stuff. Uh, yeah, well, so Larry, we we have we have a we, uh, you since you don't regularly listen, you probably don't know how the show has evolved. But um, we uh, spend a lot of time now on the podcast um, doing listener feedback because people have questions that we want to try to answer, and the and the listeners really do seem to like that. Uh, but we also have other things that we can talk about. But mostly, since we have you here, um, what would you like? Are, are there any things anything that that you would like to specifically talk about? Well, we've actually talked about the the two main things I want to talk cool. about the the marmot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I found that very interesting, and and then these uh, these uh, plant uh, based uh, burgers and and um, and and so forth. Uh, so so those were the the two main um, main main aspects. You know, I, I guess. Um, but 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 now that you asked me, so um, a. I, I, I think a fairly regular um, contributor to your podcast, uh, Dr. Michelle Daniluk, was uh, was in Guelph yesterday to deliver a seminar. And I, I heard um, she was supposed she, to have dinner with you. Well, she, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But we did have a very quick lunch. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yes. So, so I build myself somewhat. Um, um, and. Um, and so she she shared some 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 she did a great talk and, and shared some very interesting results about um, fresh produce, especially tomato plants in Florida and uh, and birds, and uh, investigating you know whether birds uh, you know apparently um, the uh, the tomato fields can be inundated with birds because uh, they're in the migratory pattern uh, pattern of these birds and, and she shared pictures where you know there's lots of birds in the fields and so forth and they defecate of course and so is that you know is that a food safety problem and and her results largely showed that no it's not but that got me to thinking um, you know. We, we've often heard, you know, there's a concern birds flying over fields and they defecate and, and, and because we associate salmonella with birds, um, perhaps it could be salmonella um, that's now spread to, uh, to the fields. Um, she did some sampling of the actual um, fecal matter and, and I, I don't think she observed any salmonella in, in any of the fecal matter that she sampled, so, so that's a, a, an interesting question that I, I began to think about. You know, is that do do we have any actual data? Is there any scientific data that you in which uh, you know research teams have, have shown conclusively that that migratory birds um, do shed foodborne pathogens, including salmonella, um, and 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 that that is a risk to uh, to to crops. Well, I, I think I think there's been actually some some data collected by fellow uh, Canadian now um, <laughs> resident of uh, of Italy, uh, 
uh, Jeff Lejeune, uh, who's, who sampled some uh, bird feces, and, and you do find salmonella in bird feces. Um, but I think that the, it's interesting that the data that you shared with Michelle. The other thing that I'll, I'll share, uh, based on a paper that we published with her, is that uh, maybe you don't find salmonella in the, the feces, but you know what you do, where you do find salmonella? If you go looking in Florida, it's surface waters. And guess what they use for irrigating uh, crops in Florida? It's surface waters. So um, there's definitely plenty of salmonella risk down there in Florida, but it, it may be in the water and not in the bird poop. <laughs> Yes, and she did. She did as part of her talk. She did share some of that work uh, that uh, you, Don, had done with her on that, and uh, and especially the uh, the rate of die off of uh, of microorganisms. Yep. Um, yeah, that's another one that needs to be published. But <laughs> we'll link to the one the ones that did get published. But yeah, she, for sure, she, she she did mention that as well. Oh gosh, thank you, Michelle, <laughs> nagging nagging me remotely from other people. Yes. She didn't say that you had to publish it. She just said it had. It to had to be published. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and it's kind of on both of us. So, but yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, very. Very. Uh, very interesting. I think. Um, it, it's you know as as we as we develop more precise methods to to sample and 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 uh, detect what we find. I think um, we're going to certainly. Um, have to answer more and more of these questions. One question I, I didn't get to ask her, but but I'll ask you, is uh, how do you think you know um, changes in weather patterns um, are, are are going to increasingly um, affect foodborne outbreaks? So um, you know I, I'm not going to say climate change because I know that could be controversial, but certainly weather patterns are changing. We're all about controversy. We'll talk okay. About okay. So climate change. Say climate change. Yeah. I'll say climate change. Well, well, yeah. Don't say global warming because it's because it's not really global warming. It's climate. But we can, we can talk about we're we're climate we're a safe space for climate change. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> we're not cli- we're not uh, climate change deniers here. Okay. Oh, I'm so I'm among okay. Good. So I'm among climate change acceptors here, yes. as I am. I'm a, I'm yes. an acceptor. Um. So so you know I was just I was just wondering um because that's that's also linked to all of this, uh, you know, climate change could change the migratory patterns and, and, and so forth. And that could cause, we're talking about birds here, but that could cause, uh, if, if they are uh, a cause of food illness, that could lead to, to, um, you know, to, to contamination in areas that we, we've never seen before. And, and, uh, the, 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 um, the hurricanes that happened, um, uh, I think was, was it last year? Um, ben um, yeah. in North Carolina. I know that at least one of them there was concern about the flooding flooding events over swine lagoons. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I never heard what 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 came of that um, in terms of uh, a food a foodborne contamination or the potential foodborne contamination. So so I'd like like certainly like to hear your both of your thoughts on on this this topic. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll jump in here, um, you know, specifically on the, the hurricanes and, and flooding that we've had. And I think that the the quick answer, Larry, is I don't think we, we really know the, the impact um, yet, uh, because when our... Um, when when those events happen, it was sort of at the end of our growing season, and we really are just in the the start, well, middle of of many of our products right right now. Um, I know that there are producers out there who who had concerns about um, uh, pathogen introduction. 
and into their fields. And, and then as a result of the, this flooding and, and not just pathogens, but also, um, heavy metals and, and other chemical, uh, concerns just with like diesel and, um, the, you know, the movement of, of, uh, chemicals from, from one part of the environment into production areas. And, and I, I, I don't, I don't think we, I don't think we truly know the, um, the impacts, but I, I do know just anecdotally of talking with some colleagues that work with these, um, individuals, uh, directly through our extension agents or, or horticulture, um, food safety specialists that, uh, that people are making, um, different decisions about growing. Um, and, and in fact, in, in one case, I know of a person who was growing uh, cantaloupes in in one of these uh, areas that that was heavily flooded, and, and decided this year that they would not grow um, cantaloupe there, um, and that they would do row crops uh, as you, instead, uh, just because they were concerned about the the food safety impacts. Um, we, I I didn't have a sense um, until until I lived here and and sort of lived through a couple of these. Not not personally, we've, we've never been affected personally by it, but just through our cooperative extension partners and the agents that we support and, and seeing some of the, the devastation, I didn't really have a good sense of what a, what a major flood looked like. And, um, we'll, we'll link to some videos that, um, that I was part of, uh, two years ago after hurricane Matthew or storm event, Matthew, I can't remember if it was a hurricane or not, but there was a lot of inland flooding that happened after, um, that, that hurricane or that storm kind of sat, um, uh, for a couple of days. And, um, and I, I, we went to, um, some communities afterwards to film these videos about what it looks like inside of a a home when someone's trying to return to it. And, and some really good questions from the homeowners about like, okay, um, my insurance is going to cover rebuilding my home, but I have all like, I have this, I have these uh, dishes here that can I wash them and sanitize them? What what are the risks with that? What about a coffee maker that was in flood water? What about you know um, a refrigerator um, and, and uh, a blender, uh, a mixer? And and these are like the the qu- the quick easy answer for for all of us to give is like well you should throw that stuff out. Like it's going to be really hard for you to clean clean and sanitize it and bring it back to. Um, a, a safe uh, working order, um, but when when you're when you're talking to a homeowner that says, "All right, well, I got forty five thousand dollars to re rebuild my home, and that that's what the the insurance was on my on my home that I bought for two hundred thousand dollars." I'm really trying to salvage every piece of item that I have here because we uh, we're in a real financial like uh, difficult situation. Um, and so, so we got into, and, and again, we'll show these videos. We got into, well, how do you, what could you, what could you salvage? And, um, how do you, um, how do you clean, how do you take it apart if you needed to? What are the, what are the most important parts in this food contact surface to look at? And these again, were things that I think we're only going to see more and more of with, um, with climate change and, and flooding and, and, and other issues that, that we'll see related to that. So those that's um, a really excellent point that I actually never thought of, um, and and certainly relevant um, to, to to me because uh, so our house that we still have in in Quebec is in a town called Rigo, 
which is uh, almost on the Ontario Quebec border, but more of more importance to what we're talking about. It's it's uh, it's right on the Ottawa River, and in, since uh, in the last three years there have been two major flood events: one in 2017 and and one this year, which actually surpassed the 2017 level, where a number of houses along the river. Um, were just absolutely inundated with floodwaters. And it's not just that town, all in Montreal, um, all the way to Ottawa and, and, and beyond, um, a number of communities have seen flooding. And so um, <clears throat> this really is, is relevant to, to people who are trying to salvage things from their houses. Um, and, and actually, in addition to the to the food contact services, I'm wondering about food that they might try to salvage. Yeah, um, so, you know, so perhaps not perishable food, but the, but the canned items, um, um, you know, uh, that they may have canned themselves or, or may have been bought. And, and I think um, there there could be. Um, so so my comments are not so much from a safety standpoint, but more from a consumer question standpoint. Um, you know, uh, they may have questions regarding the safety of, of those. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it was like, I, as we as we visited these these homes, like there was definitely food that was still there that was like non, you know, things that we would consider non perishable, um, and and stuff like uh, like flour in canisters that that were plastic. That that seemed like that had been protected, right? Like versus a flower bag that that would have gotten wet, and and we definitely could see mold, and I mean quality would be would be um, you know be terribly terribly different. But but that was the, like absolutely where we were there, um, probably four weeks after the the floodwaters had receded, um, and 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 there was still I mean there, you know, these these folks their pantries are still full of of food and canned goods and, and, and stuff like that as well. Um, the other thing that, that came up a lot, um, was well, what about my vegetable garden? Like, like I have what we, we know we have these floodwaters. I have these plants that were there. What do I do? You know, we're, we're six weeks later and can I eat the tomatoes that are fruiting on it? Can I, wh- what about the, um, you know, what, what about my, um, uh, my grapevines, my uh, it, in this part of the uh, the state, there we have a little bit of tree fruit, so the, like peaches and, and pears. Like, how do I uh, can I eat that stuff? And it's like a really like you know situation. You know, thinking back to the water um, quality issues that and water safety issues that that Michelle talked about and um, and, and you highlighted, Larry. It, it gets down to we don't have a whole lot of great science on this, and our best guess is well, if floodwaters have touched it, and and now we're from a microbial standpoint, we've got some time. And, and was there fruit there? Was it you know pre fruit? If it touched the edible part of the fruit, um, how long is it going to stay in UV light? What kind of pathogen reduction can we can we expect there? And that doesn't even get to all of the the questions about. Um, chemical contaminants um, and stuff like that. And then the question that came up um, like in February of this year um, or a few questions related to that was, okay, same, same thing as what we were talking about with the farms. I want to plant my, my vegetable garden this year. And I was in a flooded area. What precautions do I need to take? Do I need to get my soil tested? What, what should I be doing in my home uh, with this stuff? And so, yeah, these are, uh, like I said, and before I moved to North Carolina, I didn't really have a good, 
appreciation for this. Some of these, some of these individuals, they, you know, the eastern part of our state and the western part of our state gets gets hit with with floodwaters. Um, uh, you know, historically has, but but some folks are. This is the you know, fifth or 10th flood that they've been through in the 30 years that they lived in that community. And it's, you know, from the outside, it's easy to say like, well, you should move, but that's not a realistic situation. If your entire family is there and your job is there, you, you, are this is your, this is your community. So it's like, how do I manage it? Um, so yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me weigh in with a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, when, when Larry brought up, um, hurricanes and North Carolina, I thought you guys were going to talk about hockey. <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh, we're getting to that. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> um, and then the second point I want to make is uh, talking about flooding makes me think of uh, Mike Batts, um, and yeah. who's, who has been a guest on the show and who we follow on. We're 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 linked with on Twitter, um, uh, and he's just experiencing some incredible flooding uh, with where he lives uh, out uh, there in the Midwest. And so there's an NPR. Um, article, uh, NPR story entitled The Mississippi River Has Been Flooding for 41 Days Now, um, uh, which was uh, six days ago. Uh, that, was the, that was the headline. So we'll link to that article. Um, and then finally, just uh, <clears throat> talking about risk and nothing specifically about, um, well, I mean, it, it all comes back potentially to, to climate change. And really what, what, from a risk point of view, what drives risk is extreme events, right? And that could be, um, uh, extre- you know, increasing number of hurricanes. It could be increased flooding. Um, but the thing I want to talk about is just briefly the work that we did with the Conference for Food Protection um, on emergency action plans for retail food establishments. And this was all driven, at least in, in my mind, driven in part um, from Superstorm Sandy, where we had a situation where um, the power was out and rescue workers and, and other workers were out there working and retail establishments had foods that were going to spoil. And th- there's a there's a uh, give and take there around, well, what do we do, right? Like we know that we refrigerate foods for, for quality and for safety, uh, but at some point, um, we don't want to sell those foods, but how how much temperature abuse can we have? Because what we don't want, if if there's limited food available and the people who are out there doing the work of getting this community back up and running and restoring power, um, if, if there's a way to feed them with food that's already there, we want to do that. At the same time, we don't want to compromise food safety. So, um, so how, what's that, you know, what's that give and take uh, back and forth there? And so a, a good place to start, if you're interested in those kind of issues from a retail perspective, would be the the CFP emergency action plan uh, document, which I think we've talked about before, and we'll uh, it's a couple of years old now, but the information in it is still pretty good, and we'll link to that on the on the CFP website. And and these comments, you know, um, lead to a, 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 a wider ex- expanse of this topic, which is um, because you you've just t- well, I guess we've all touched on it, but I think you. Most recently, Don just touched on, which is food waste. So um, I think food waste is going to become, you know, as, as we t- increasingly move to this idea of sustainable food production, food waste is, is becoming a, a major topic. Um, and and so this intersection between food safety and food waste. Yep. Um, and where do you draw the line? Yep. 
Um, and, and, and is it even possible to draw a line? Because you Oh, know, you could always draw a line. It just might not be the right line. And, and well, in fact, absolutely. where you draw the line is a risk management question. But, but we want it to be informed by science. But absolutely, yeah. And this, is, we've, this has come up as a topic before, and it will keep coming up because it really is. It's in people's content. Like, you don't want to throw away food. Like, what, you know, what if, you have a, if you have a, you're, you're at a conference and they have a big banquet, right? And, or a big, uh, you know, lunch service. Well, what happens to that food? Well, you don't want it to go in the trash, right? But uh, on the other hand, and, uh, you know, we, you don't want to make people sick either. So what's the, wh- where do you find that balance? Absolutely, Larry. I think you're right, right on target with that. And, yeah. my, com- and my comments in terms of, of drawing the line <clears throat> relates to the fact that, for example, a hurricane that goes through um, North Carolina or Florida, <clears throat> let's say Florida because it's a better example where, where it's, uh, you know, tropical temperatures um, versus an extreme rain event that happens in the early spring that leads to flooding in in Quebec, um, where where the temperature the, the ambient temperature is much lower, maybe just above freezing. Um, those are those those could have two very different consequences with respect to microbial growth. Yep. Um, and so my my point was more. I think it would be very difficult to to because I think we have to remember, um, you know, it's consumers that we're talking about here, um, who the majority of them will, will not have any knowledge of, of what we're talking about. And, and that's different than producers of food um, who, who at least are aware of guidelines and so forth. So, you know, how do you, how do you make a, there's no one rule fits all is what I'm trying to say. Yep. So, so how would you, you know, the, the question that arises, how, how is that going to be solved in terms of, because consumers want guidelines that will say, well, we, they want to know, can, is this safe or is this not safe? And the answer may not be clear. Right. Uh, so, so that's, that was where more, where my comments were coming from. Yeah, yeah no, and, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll, I'll jump in on this cause we've been, Doing, I, I, I'm very passionate about this this area. Um, I had a student um, a few years ago who did um, uh, her uh, her project. Her name is Ashley Chaffetz, and she did her, her project on uh, food safety at food banks and food pantries in North Carolina, and published that in, in Journal of Food Protection. Um, and and one of the things that came out of that, so so we've got food waste, food um, disparity, and food safety all wrapped up together. It's, it's really hard to parse them out, right? So yes, there's a lot of waste. How do, can I, can I divert some of that waste to, towards people that don't have enough food and what are the mechanisms to, to do that? And how do we do that safely? Because we don't want, um, you know, often someone who is, um, also food insecure is, it can be in a higher risk group for foodborne illness. And so it's, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, complications wrapped up in this. And so Ashley, Ashley spent a bunch of time traveling across the state, interviewing, observing food handling behaviors, talking to managers of, uh, of food pantries. And so we, she got really right down to the, the groups that are giving away food, not like food banks are a little bit different animal. I mean, that's a, like, looks more like a distribution center, from a food service or retail standpoint. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of good infrastructure at food banks where what we were really interested in was where do things fall apart um, at a, if they fall apart at, at like the local really like, you know, small level. Uh, and, and some of these pantries were like literally a closet in a church. 
and and what kind of food handling is happening? Does anybody look at it? And the, the the reason where this like this is what got me starting a lot about thinking a lot about food waste was one of the one of the findings, one of the um, one of the common themes. It wasn't an anecdote. One of the common themes that came from these food pantries was. We, we ask questions about dates and labels and, and how do you assess whether you can use food. And, and, and very consistently, food pantry said if the, if the date if there's an expiration date on it, and you know that's that's their term, right? Like, and let's let's like parse that out into if there's a best before date or a sell by date or a use by date on it. And we've gone past that date. Um, the majority of, of pantries, they may receive that food as a donation. They they would not hand it out. And it wasn't from a safety standpoint, although, you know, so so Larry, your comment about like consumers might not know about safety and stuff. And 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 I think that in this case, the pantries, some of them were talking about safety and some of them weren't. But where it really came down was a perception of giving away food to people that we as the pantry people would not keep in our home ourselves because it was expired. And that's a like to me that's a huge fascinating issue because it's not is it is it any less safe than it was the day before the um you know the 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 date the best before date no it's not any less safe it's 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 the same we have the same level of safety. Is there a quality difference? Could be. But what imposing that quality difference um, value on someone who doesn't have food because you're concerned about perception is a really weird place to be in. And I don't, I don't know, like, you know, Larry used the word, word about sort of solving this or fixing this. I, I, that that's all part of it is trying to, um, be able to communicate the differences between these, these dates and why they're there and how that contributes to waste and how that contributes to food insecurity. Um, and, and in fact, like this is a real, um, uh, current question. I got a question yesterday that I responded to this morning from the, um, where is it here from the legislature here in North Carolina. And I don't know, you know, I, I, Don, I don't know if this happens to you. This is not a common thing. I don't get a lot of questions, but this came from a legislative analysis uh, analyst who works for our you know, our, our legisl- legislature said, okay, I work in the General Assembly. We've received an inquiry about food expiration dates, particularly regarding food waste and hunger. Can you share information about what requires manufacturers to set the expiration date, state or federal law, USC, USDA regulations? Are there guidelines for a period of time that consumers can safely consume past the expiration date? And so, I mean, there's a a detailed answer that that basically here here's the quick answer. No, there aren't laws except for something like infant formula, and the reason why we have that is because nutrients degrade over time. Um, what, how a manufacturer sets those expiration dates or best before dates um, is based on on their quality um, tests and what they determine. And are there guidelines for a period of time that consumers can safely consume food past the expiration date? Um, yeah, but no one can really agree on it because we've got people that mix quality and safety that leads to food waste. And so from a safety standpoint, you know, that, you know, I was able to answer that question, but, um, but this is, I mean, this is a big issue and, and, and it, I, I, it, there's a perception issue. There's a communication issue. There's a practice issue. There's a quality issue. Um, safety is not really at the heart of it because the product doesn't really change over time for a lot of these things. 
Yeah, and 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 so in Canada, this is also a major topic. Canada, unfortunately, is one of the world's um, largest uh, producers of, of food waste, and and so there's been a lot of t- uh, discussion and, and around these exact same topics, best before dates. And the point I was actually going to raise this point about this the social perception of giving um, people food um, that you know. That have has with with expired best before dates, uh, and the perception being, you know, we are not going to eat that, but you can eat that. Um, and I think I think the the solution is that you know we have to we have to educate the public that it's okay to eat foods past the best before dates. I, I before I left Montreal, I did a, a um, one hour radio show about this, and you know. Um, we actually, and in, in our household, um, we, we regularly eat foods that have expired um, best before dates. Um, and I think it's important for, 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 for you know, people who, who work in this area to, to do that because it shows that it's okay. It shows the public that it's okay to do that. Um, but but certainly educating the public that it's not a food you know best before dates are not linked to food safety. I mean even in my in my family my my wife still asks me, oh the best for food you know before dates expired is this safe to eat? Um, even though many I've said many times it's, it's not a food safety indicator. Um, so that shows that 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 message has to get out there and but be constantly reinforced. Yeah yeah. Yeah, nothing, nothing more to add except just to agree with uh, what both of you said. And, and again, the, the only the only example uh, is is the one you mentioned, Ben, is infant formula because uh, it's a sole source of nutrients. And so, if there is a change in nutrients, uh, you could have a risk of um, you know significant health consequences uh, because of a, a missing a critical nutrient. So, yep, right, right, and and this is this one's bigger like big for us to, to, to work on because we've got, you know, Don and I have talked about this on the podcast there. Um, our, our federal agencies are, are, are pretty, um, conservative on, on this kind of stuff. They're like, if you have leftovers, you know, um, you know, need them within three, three or four days, which it kind of depends on the food and it depends on your, the temperature of your fridge. Um, and, and, and there are assumptions, uh, built in there that are really conservative. And, and then, um, just like not, I guess, not taking a stance too much on, and because I think our, our regulators are in a weird spot. Um, and I'm looking at CFIA's website right now on date labeling on prepackaged foods. And, and so they, you know, there, it's a, there's a good sort of Q and A about what's on here, but they ask about like, can stores change the best before dates on food? And, and it's like, they kind of dance around that answer, which is, um, so, uh, can stores change the best before? days on food. Well, it's not well. That's me adding my editorial. It's illegal to sell food that is unsafe. Okay. That doesn't answer. We all agree. We all agree. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is the responsibility of food manufacturers, producers, and retailers to ensure the food they produce is is safe. Yes. That's also a true statement. Any changes made to the best before date or durable life information that result in false or misleading information on the label are prohibited by the Food and Drugs Act. And, and I don't really know if that is a yes or a no, right? Like it's, it, so there's, there's some caveats there. Um, and, and then the, the next question is, what should I do if I see a product that's, uh, uh, that's for sale past its best before date? Well, it's not illegal to sell that product. A consumer can use this information to consider how the food may have changed in terms of freshness, flavor, texture, and or nutritional value before purchasing. 
it, it, right? Like, so it, we kind of dance around it. It's not like you don't say, Hey, it's safe to eat this. And here are the things that might change. I mean, they, they're just, I don't know. I, you, you know, I have trouble with, uh, how are, how people communicate and, and not talking about risks and not being, uh, right to the point. So, but that's, that's what people are asking. Like there's a whole thing on what, what date label is all about. But, but the questions that I get over and over again are it's, here's the date. Can I eat this? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's well as 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 we 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 often say on this show, you know, it's complicated and it depends, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is an, this is a classic <laughs> example of it's complicated and defend, depends. I wonder. It, it, if, oh, sorry, uh, Ben. Go ahead. No, I was just going to see if I wonder if can I eat this dot com is a website. <laughs> yeah, I potentially, if I was poisoned dot com as a website, can I eat this dot com is a is a website. It's for sale. Guess how much it is? Oh, I bet it's, it's a lot. It's at hugedomains.com. <laughs> you know if it's at hugedomains.com, it's going to be expensive. It is $3,095. Wow. I won't be buying that one. Uh, you know, I, I think so, so a cu- couple points. Um, just thinking pragmatically, from a retailer standpoint, you know, um, so, so you said, uh, you just said, Ben, you know, one of the questions is I saw, what do I do if I, if I see in the store a product with an expired best before date? So one of the, in Canada, certainly, um, you know, companies, uh, retailers, major retailers like Walmart have been in the news because they, um, you know, regularly discard large amounts of food in, 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 you know, bins behind their store because simply because the best before date's been expired. But from a retailer standpoint, you know, it, it, my question to both of you is what are they to do? You know, if, if they have products on the expiry date or the best before date has expired, excuse me, um, do they leave those for sale? Because is, is it realistic to expect consumers to actually, you know, who, who might look at these things before they purchase it to say, oh, well, the best before date's expired, but right. I'm still going to buy that. So yeah, they're not going to sell it at all. Like, absolutely not. I mean, just realistically, in my opinion, because they're going to get a question like uh, or a report from from someone who sees it and says, oh, you got you're selling out of out of uh, out of date foods. And then there's going to be a Facebook page that's like, don't go to Walmart and Guelph because they're selling out of date foods. Well, right. but it, but it, you know, and that and the answer is probably different for Walmart than for somebody else. I remember in the Castleberry Chili's outbreak, one of the problems with why that outbreak went on and on and on is so many of those products were in mom and pop convenience stores that not only did they not know, uh, you know, or they they didn't they didn't even know that the product was being recalled, right? And so yeah, you got it out of all of the big chain grocery stores, but there's so many small independents, and I suspect that if if things are being sold past their best expiry date, it's in those smaller operations that maybe, and maybe it's intentional, maybe it's, maybe it's not, but that's where I would look to find uh, out-of-date food is, is, is not in big corporate chains who are going to manage quality and who are going to manage risk, uh, right? It's in, it's in the mom and pops. And, and, and another question I have for both of you um, is, uh, it relates to best before dates, and um, I'm assuming that this is going to be the same in the U.S., but if not, um, please correct me. So so in Canada, we have best before dates, and then we also have expiration dates, and and they're not the same thing. Um, you know, the expiration dates are, are only on certain foods. Um, Don, you mentioned the infant formula. So, so here in Canada, they would ha- that would have a, be an example of a food that would have an expiration date as well as um, anything that that 
that wants that expiration date has passed is not okay to eat because the uh, the nutritional um, specifications and compositional uh, specifications um, will not be met. And typically, these foods are, are given to higher risk populations, like formulated liquid diets and, and of course, infant formula and meal replacements. So is that the same in the U.S.? Um, is there, you know, best before dates and then generally on foods, but then on certain uh, types or class of foods, there's expiration date? You know, that's a really good question. It seems like from looking at the uh, CFIA webpage and then quickly Googling for stuff from FDA and USDA, I don't think it's n- nearly as clearly laid out in the United States. And then the other thing is that this whole concept of durable life, that is that is not a term that we use in the U.S. Um, mm. So, But we have, we have uh, sell-by dates, we have best-by dates, we have best-before dates, uh, and then we have ex- uh, expiration dates, we have... You you know, we have open dating on some foods. We have closed dating on other foods, um, and it's a, just a very, very confusing mess. And I don't, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think the expiration dates. The only thing that that I know about this is that there are some expiration date. We don't see. There's no like federal guidance on expiration dates or federal rules. The thing that that does pop up there are some state laws around eggs. And milk that yep. have expiration yep. dates, yep. Um, but not uh, not not federal federal ones. They're, the UK, you know, is another area. They have a really nice. Um, I think they do a pretty good um, job with their website on explaining how they approach it. I'll send this um, for show notes, but they say use by dates, and they talk about use by dates um, for um, things like ready to eat salads or meat products. They say these are about safety. They say best before dates are about quality, um, and then those are the two that they that they really focus on. So they they're like, okay, if you have this, this is a safety issue. Now, what kind of data that they use about use by dates? I'm not I'm not really sure, um, uh, but but I you know, I could see something like a um, deli deli sliced um, uh, ham. Not not a prepackaged ham, but having a you know, deli sliced ham where um, listeria growth could be an issue. I could I could have a use by date that I slap on there at the retailer. Or um, we talked in the last episode about foods that we don't um, we don't eat and cut cut melons, cut produce is one of the things that that Don and I kind of that are um, that are packaged uh, prior to us cutting them uh, at a at a retailer or elsewhere. Or th- that we we avoid um, for the most part. That was something they highlight as a use by date on that would be would be good because we could have listeria growth, um, you know, in even in refrigeration temperatures in the in that cantaloupe. And so I like I like that. It's like okay, let's let's focus on these specific foods. Let's get a date on there that isn't um, as confusing as best before. And let's say this is a used by used by, and this is for safety. Yeah, and having been part of an effort to try to do that, um, I, I, I we're. F- pretty far away from that. Everybody yeah. thinks it's a great idea and everybody thinks that everybody else's products, but not their category should have those, right? So <laughs> if you make dairy products, you don't want those for dairy. If you make fresh cut produce, you're fine with the idea. You just don't want it for any fresh cut produce, right? And so, and that, and that's where the talks, that's where the things always break down. And so, and this was, this was a big effort. There were a lot of people involved from consumer groups, from various trade associations, from academic, from academia. Um, and it just was a non-starter because, uh, because nobody, 
no, nobody wants to put anything. No, nobody wants to sell unsafe food, and nobody wants to be seen to be selling food that becomes unsafe after a certain point. So it's a it's a very tough it's a very tough political issue, and I don't I don't think well. I don't think anything's coming out of Washington um, helpful anytime soon. Um, and uh, even even if we did have a functional government, um, it wouldn't. This wouldn't rise to the level of, let's say, implementing the Food Safety Modernization Act, et cetera, et cetera. There's there's more important things that we can be doing. Again, it comes down to risk and risk management, right? What are the most important things that FDA and USDA can be doing to manage food safety right now? There's a lot of things that they can be doing. This is really a good thing to do, and it would help. And this whole issue of and again. FDA's got a real nice um, uh, uh, fact uh, fact sheet on food waste and food safety, um, but it's but it's it's just a very superficial piece, um, and it's got it's got the standard recommendations that we see in the Food Keeper app that we've talked about before. But but in terms of actually getting to uh, getting to a, a solution about dating, um, we're we're not close to that right now, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's the like. Maybe the the answer here is to just supplant it, right, and just say, okay, we're not going to agree on what this is. Let's let's just let, let's get down to, and I'm really like this idea that I wrote it on my whiteboard of like, let's just create a website is is it safe to eat this dot com and have people upload pictures and contact you and and or contact us and say, can I eat this? <laughs> And yeah, it, yeah, is it safe? And 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 doesn't matter what the data is. Let's you know. And then 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 let let someone on the other end go through the um, the idea of okay, well, what? Let me think about the food. Let me think about what the risk is and who you are. And then I can give you an answer of yeah, that's safe to eat. No, that's not safe to eat. We should do this. Someone someone listen to the podcast. Go do that. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a great idea, a full time idea. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if if people actually go to it. Um, the the other thing on waste I wanted to highlight, Don and I have talked a little bit about this on previous podcasts. Larry, you might not know know about it, but the example uh, that that Don gave of like food at a at a conference or or at a meeting that we see all these these leftovers. We've been working with um, a, well, a guy, uh, a guy named Tom. Um, and, uh, we've got a guy, I got a guy named Tom, uh, and he loads uh, it all into his truck and it's all fine. <laughs> that's right. He takes, I don't know what he does with the big, I got a guy, uh, Tom, Tom, uh, um, McKernan is, is his name. And he, uh, he runs a program called stew of sustainability. And actually Don Schaffner was here, um, uh, a year ago, talking, we we had a two day conference on, uh, uh, here in North Carolina on food waste and um, and the intersection of food waste, food insecurity, and food safety um, that our North Carolina uh, Food Safety and Defense Task Force put on. And 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 Don talked about um, the emergency food um, you know document and and sort of modeling um, food safety around food waste. And then Tom. Um, gave a talk about this about this program. So basically, the the program is uh, take pre-served catered foods for the most part um, and freeze it and then transport it frozen to partner organizations that use it uh, uh, like a soup kitchen. And I worked with them on this quite extensively to do it in a way to to come up with a process and train people in a way that may that. Uh, where we try to um, highlight what we need to do from a food safety standpoint and um, working within our food code to do it so someone doesn't need to create a variance because they're vacuum sealing food um, and, and transporting it off-site to somewhere else as a donation. And so um, you know, shout out to that program. It's a program that 
um, that we've got plans in the next uh, few months or so to expand to other parts of our state. And, and actually, um, uh, Sonia Illich, uh, maybe friend of the podcast, but friend of ours, uh, for sure, from uh, Ohio State University, um, has also been in, in contact with, with Tom about this about this program. So um, it's, not, it's like simple. It's like, here are some standard operating procedures. Here's a ring stand and a bag on filling, but, but being able to tell people about like day coding and freezing, um, and, and making sure that they're, um, vacuum sealing already chilled foods, um, and doing so within the, within the purview of the, of the food code is, is what it's all about. And sorry, I say vacuum sealed. It's not vacuum sealed. Sealed. No, no. Uh, my regulator friends who are screaming at their podcast right now, we're not doing reduced agriculture, reduced uh, oxygen packaging uh, in this pro- in this process. We we tried very hard to avoid that, so we didn't need a variance in a HACCP plan uh, for multiple um, uh, restaurants who are. We were asking them uh, out of the goodness of their heart to donate food. Not not vacuum sealed. Just sealed. <laughs> what is the difference? Noro nerd knows what, what's up. So the difference is how FDA views the food code okay. and what they need. And it's a it like it is from a from a safety standpoint, drawing a vacuum doesn't really matter. But but drawing a vacuum from from FDA standpoint puts you automatically into reduced oxygen packaging. And and even though the, the risk, we could argue that the risk is no different. Um, they, their their uh, interpretation would be drawing a vacuum makes it more likely for Clostridium botulinum oh, and Listeria. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I know, I, I get, I get all of that. My question is, like, what's the practical difference? Like, oh, how, no. how, oh. what, uh, so how do I, how do I seal a food so that it's not vacuum sealed? I just take a bag and uh-huh. I put chilled food that's below 41 degrees into this bag uh-huh. and then I seal it with a with a heat sealer. Okay. And yeah, that's it. But I don't do I squeeze the air out? No. No, I leave the air in. Yeah, how or much? I try to, try not to put any air in there. How how mm. Right. So, but, but here's the thing. It doesn't really matter. Oh, I know it doesn't matter, yeah. but, but I'm just t- like, like, how do you, how do you, this is, this is, I'm sorry to get stuck on this, but yeah. um, like, all right. So I'm an FDA person and I'm uh-huh. out to get you, right? Cause yep. the FDA is always out to get you. Um, and, and I'm going to watch you do this. What are, how are you going to do it in a way that I don't get you? Well, I'm going to make sure that the food is below 41 because oh. if it was at 45, yeah. now I am putting hot food at 45 into a bag and somehow that will magically consume some of the oxygen that's in there. Um, then, so so I got to make sure, first thing is I got to make sure it's below 41. Secondly, I'm going to put it in a bag, but I'm not going to draw anything. I might squeeze a little bit of the the air out, but I'm going to allow oxygen to be in there, um, and I'm not going to do anything mechanically to it to to drive it out. Um, and then I'm going to seal it. Okay. All right. So no mechanical devices other than perhaps just squeezing the air out with your hands. Yep. Okay. And then heat seal. Okay. And then heat seal it. And then I'm going to put it, march it directly into my freezer. Okay. And I'm going to freeze it to solid. And then I'm going to transport it frozen. And then I'm going to tell the receiving folks, hey, you can rethermalize this in the bag if you want to. Um, you can open it up. But don't put this bag in your, um, in your walk-in for more than seven days. 
at 41. Okay. So and by yeah. re thermalize, that's, you mean heat, right? I mean, heat it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean heat. I mean, that's a long, it's a long, long word for, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to re thermalize my lunch later today. I'm going to, all right, Don, maybe you're going to re thermalize your coffee and tea. Maybe. Oh, that's not good to re thermalize coffee or tea. I don't, well, we don't, we're talking about food waste. Don't forget. <laughs> that's right. I've been, so speaking of this, so we'll, we'll get to the last little bit of hockey here in a minute, but I, for you, Larry, and for me, I am drinking out of a mug that has a, a very like not, um, complimentary picture of Rob Ford, the former, uh, uh, mayor of Toronto. And it has a, um, a, a Canadian or maple leaf behind his face. And it says, recall this Ford. And which is, I think, a pretty funny um, uh, thing. Someone bought me this because of Rob Ford was a very interesting figure before he passed away. Um, smoke, smoke some crack, and and uh, lots of good videos on him. Um, anyway, I'm drinking a uh, Tim Hortons K cup out of my uh, Rob Ford mug because because uh, you're because you're in Canada and you're Canadian. Well, thank you very much. And and actually, it's um, th- your mug is still very timely because um, <laughs> as you probably know, um, and I, I don't know if Don knows, but the current oh, I know. premier of, uh, of our province is, is his brother. His brother. Yeah. No, I know uh, this. So, 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 so recall it. And, 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 and um, some people in, in the province, I don't know how many, I think a growing number of people, certainly I would be among that uh, group would say that uh, recalling for it is, is still a very viable thing. Recall this Ford. That's right. Yes, exactly. I'm exactly. with you. Recall this Ford. Recall the other Ford. Recall all the Fords. <laughs> recall the Fords all the way down. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. So, but yeah, yeah. And, uh, and tonight, um, Don, because this is a, a, your favorite your favorite time of the podcast, which is a sports ball reference, um, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes are playing the Boston Bruins, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I will I will not be going to uh, any games in uh, this round. Uh, I went in the first two rounds with uh, with my kids, um, and uh, ticket prices. I, I I should have pre pre purchased ticket at the start of the playoffs. Um, but I was not confident that they would go very far and I didn't want to like lay out a bunch of money and then have it reimbursed to me over a five month period. So I didn't. And tickets now, uh, the tickets that are $42 during the regular season that I sit in are now uh, face value of a hundred and eighty two dollars uh, for the third round of the playoffs. And uh, I'm uh, I'm not, uh, we're, we're not going to a, a $600 hockey game, uh, right now. So, but I will be watching every one of these games and rooting for my second favorite team and now hometown team, the uh, Carolina hurricanes. And I'm going to take this opportunity to remind you, Ben, that I'm still waiting for my bunch of jerks t-shirt that I, I do believe I, I uh, put in an order for several weeks or months back. Let me tell you, your bunch of jerk shirt is sitting in my closet, ready for when I see you. Perfect, perfect. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't. We we've been talking for for a couple hours here. Um, oh, that's a Hurricanes reference. Sorry, Google. I'm I'm I'm. Uh, I guess I knew that. I I I sort of knew that. Anyway, the internet's good. 
The internet's good. <laughs> bunch of jerks. Um, now there's they actually uh, so a bunch of jerks came from uh, Don Cherry calling our team a bunch of jerks for doing some post game celebrations, which I loved. Um, and then our marketing uh, folks at the Carolina Hurricanes were like, "We'll make a bunch of shirts that say a bunch of jerks on it," and sold uh, thousands of them. I, during uh, you know game day, you walk around town and people are wearing the bunch of jerk shirts. Um, I I wore the bunch of jerk shirts uh, as I had traveled a couple of weeks ago. Um, and people were like, go Canes in, in Nashville, which was cool. Um, and then uh, now uh, Don Cherry talked about the Cana- the Canes last week and called us a bunch of front-running uh, fans, which uh, means uh, fair-weather fans that, that show up only when the team's winning. Uh, and now there are shirts of, uh, it says, bunch of front-running fans. <laughs> <laughs> Which, because we we got we got good marketing people, that's right. And it's just gonna make them mad. And now there's more. He says something, it'll be another shirt, and we'll I'll, and I'll have five of them every time he says something. I'll have a different one. Are you sure Don Cherry is not employed by the Carolina Hurricanes marketing he, uh, branch? He's, he's in the pocket of big shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he's this is. What was that? What did they say? Uh, what was that email that we got? Uh, baked in. He's he's doing uh, baked in advertising. Uh, Larry, you won't know what we're talking about in the last episode. Someone offered us an opportunity to do uh, advertising for their company by baking in the advertising in the middle of the of the podcast. I, I see. Um, so there are. Uh, uh, one of my, so I, you guys kind of know that I like t-shirts and I wear like a bunch of different shirts. Uh, um, there's a new one, uh, that came out from, uh, house of swank, which is my favorite t-shirt, uh, place here in Raleigh. And it says, uh, Don Cherry is a poopy face and I will purchase that shirt and bring that and wear it at IAFP. <laughs> And no one will know except for six of us who Don Cherry is, but I don't care. Exactly. I once met Don Cherry. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I was working at a, a hospital as a, a like a part-time orderly, you know, transporting patients, and um, and he was there um, with his with a family member, and uh, so I met him. Several. This was in the nineties, and so that's my. Uh, Six degrees of separation, or maybe two degrees of separation, I guess. I mean, um, one, like you met him. That's no, yeah, you're. That's well, no. well, yeah, two degrees of separation for you. Oh, yes, good. Of, yes, yes, good, good stuff. Uh, sorry, I am corrected. It is Don Cherry is a poopy head, not a poopy face, <laughs> and well. uh, which is which is fantastic. Well, I, I want you to know that in preparation for recording this podcast today, I wore a podcast T-shirt, and uh, and Ben, I just texted you a picture of it. It's the uh, Incomparable Podcast, which has a robot uh, that the head is uh, like a microphone, and uh, it's it's one of my favorite T-shirts. So. Oh. so, so that brings up an interesting point, Don. You know, guests of the podcast, do they get any swag? Is there any any <sighs> any you know food safety podcast swag? Well, that, that- so we, we, we should do something, um, and what we've done in the past is we've made swag and then sent it out to people, but honestly, what other podcasts do, and uh, I guess whatever's, whatever's in the show is in the show, so we'll talk about this. Um, what other podcasts do is they basically create a design and put it onto a podcast or onto a shirt-making company website, and then if enough listeners order the shirts, they get them, and so I will, uh, I will uh, sh- uh, share with you, Larry, that if we do that... 
And if you pay your money and you order a shirt, then you will get a shirt. <laughs> oh, do it. Yeah. And, but, but even maybe we can, if, if enough of the, the orders come through, um, maybe we can uh, get shirts for our for the people that uh, that join us on here. But, well, we, yeah, don't, and we, but we don't have a way to do that now. Yeah, and yeah. what we can do is if we put if we if we decide that we're going to do that, we can talk to the people who've been guests or that who we want to give shirts away to get their shirt details, like their sizing details, and then and then just order, we'll order them ourselves and then just give them to people. So that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, well. I would be a fan. Yeah. Well, we can we can maybe make this happen. If, since we're talking about our shirts, I'm going to text you, Don, a picture of my shirt right now. Um, I'm wearing a I, – I, I like to wear a, a button-down shirt, um, as, it's, as it's known, I think, in the, in the uh, prep business. But underneath that, that button-down shirt, I'm wearing a shirt that is a gray, um, heathered uh, gray shirt that says Hockey Hero. Because uh, <laughs> this is nice. basically – yeah, it's, it's a uh, shirt that I – refuse to wear in public because um, all of the people that know me that play hockey with me would know how ridiculous a hockey hero t-shirt is that I'm wearing. Um, and well, so like, uh, you're wearing it, was, it ironically. I, yeah, except, except the, they would, they would maybe think like, this is not your, you actually think that you're a hockey hero. I'm wearing yeah, it. Ironically. Ben, everyone can be a hockey hero. It's true. It's true. I so so there you go. You guys should have that in your text, and that will be. Uh, you can make that your uh, profile picture from when when you get a call from Zippy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, well, well, guys. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Is there is there anything else we haven't touched on, Larry? Thanks for joining us. I mean, this was awesome. We we you, this is how it. This is how we like it to work. We um, interact with somebody on Twitter, and and they say. I wanted to come on. You guys said you'd have us on, have me on, and then we say, "Hey, we're recording at nine ish on Thursday. Uh, come join us." And then you show up, and this is awesome. This is really great. Well, thank you to both of you. Uh, this has been very enjoyable, and I'm serious. As you know, as I've said earlier when we started this, I've wanted to come on for a long time, and uh, certainly have have enjoyed this. Well, and awesome. we'll and we'll share, you know, what the secret is. So, we, whenever anybody wants to come on the podcast, um, my standard response is, "Okay, that's great." The next time that we're recording is, you know, at such and such a date and time, um, and they're like, "Oh, I'm not really available," um, and I'm like, "Okay, that's fine." But but that's the that's the way the podcast is. Like, I'm not gonna. I mean, yeah, I well, I'm, there might be people out there for whom we would make allowances, but for you know standard food grade experts like yourself, Larry, <laughs> they just they just have to they just have to carpe diem. You know, they just have to say, yeah, I'm free. I'm free uh, Thursday at nine, and uh, boom, then then you're on the show. So and, so, and so thank of, you, and, thank you so much. And in the spirit of full disclosure, <laughs> that has happened several times where you have extended invitations, but I was not free. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, know if that was you or not. <laughs> just so all the listeners are, are, are can can uh, be assured well that, and uh, see that, that what this teaches a very important lesson for people is that you know if you have a goal in life you should pursue it and absolutely. don't and don't give up absolutely yeah just just like i didn't win uh, fred's microscope this year but it's okay <laughs> i lost out to the other uh, the other food safety larry and i'm okay with that yeah, that's a that's a that's a hard that's an easy one to swallow. It's a hard yes. it's an easy one. Yeah. yeah, there's a limited number of people that I would be willing to lose a food a microbiology competition to, and Larry Bouchard is one of them. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, like absolutely, and you kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's that's right, that's a good one. Um, 
Well, I think this has been a this has been a show. Um, so uh, thanks again to Larry Goodrich. Uh, thanks to the uh, Leung family uh, for <laughs> giving Larry a job so he's not uh, unemployed. Um, and uh, he, Larry's uh, um, joining us from his. Uh, hopefully, his pants are still on. Uh, but uh, join us from from golf today. Uh, and. Uh, and I'm about to slip my shoes back on because uh, the podcast is over. So, um, all right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This is the after dark. If you're still here, oh, oh, Larry hung up. Larry's oh, gone. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that was good. <laughs> that was great. Um, I. So hey, uh, talk about things I wanted to talk about with mm. you that were not uh, food safety things. My primary MacBook Air is in the shop getting its uh, keyboard fixed because oh, of, because of keyboards. Apple keyboards. Yeah. Apple keyboards. Ooh. And it's a, so what's, it's super frustrating and it's been happening and I've been like spraying air at it to try and make this work, but it's not getting any better. And my space bar sticks sometimes and, and then like does doubles or triples and then it, and then it does none. And it's like trying to write with that just Mm. makes you tear your eyes because every, like you got to go back in space and back in space. So, um, so anyway, my, I'm, I'm working on my old, uh, MacBook, uh, little MacBook cutie uh today um so that's probably why my call recorder didn't work so i hope i don't think so i think you probably are just not up to date on all your skype and call recorder updates yeah yeah because i didn't that's what i mean oh oh because because and of course you because you're on an older laptop that is not uh, yeah yeah yeah, okay makes sense yep yep um which this old laptop works great for most things except for um the important microsoft word which hangs if i try to type too fast <laughs> this this old laptop it sounds like a, a pps show <laughs> this yeah this this old laptop with bob vila <laughs> <laughs> i feel like there's there's like just some piano music as as people take a, a tour like a ken 
Burns style <laughs> picture of, of my keyboard and it pans to the delete button and, uh, and then shows all of the million of, of uh, um, windows that are open on it. And it says this old, welcome to this old laptop. Um, cool. Well, this is good. Uh, that should be not like not a lot of, not a lot of edits today. That was good. Yeah, I just need to. I did. I did curse. <clears throat> I did curse um, at the very beginning uh, before I got you on the line, um, and I'll, I'll go back and fix that. But it's. It's. Yeah. It's, it should be easy to do. Do your uh, use your soundboard and put like a, a like a clown like a clown horn. Ooga. Yeah. Do that. Use that. No, but I just did to your to your soundboard and just keep using that over and over. Again. Uh, yeah. I don't, we'll we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Right. Um, Cool. All right. Um, so we have a lot of listener feedback we didn't get to, but we'll just roll it over to the next one. Yeah. And do you want to? Um, okay. Well, let's look at when you want to record again. Sure. And I am. Um, so uh, we squeezed this one on because we recorded last last week, right? Like we did two weeks in a row, or no? Maybe not. Um, it was. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, well, we, we can look at when Hot Pants came out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm in, I'm in April. I'm first. I feel like we did it on. Yeah, we did last Monday. Okay. All right. So it's all right. So a little bit more than a week. Yeah. Which is cool. Okay. So next week, um, is sorry. Let's go to the week after. Um, I'm in New Hampshire on the 20th, 21st. When do I get back? I got to fly in there on the 20th. They're the 21st and 22nd teaching. And then I fly back. I haven't actually booked my flights yet. I'm going to try and come back the night of the 22nd. I don't know if I can yet. Um, But I may be flying on the 23rd, which would be a problem. So I could, um, the 24th. Friday Fridays are a problem for you, right? Like that's no, no, but but that Friday's okay. So uh, yeah, so I I am traveling next week to Chicago and then the week after to Madison. Um, But uh, but I am I have a lab meeting um, with my students at one on on Friday the twenty fourth. But I'm free in the morning. Yeah, let's. Me too. I'm wide open in the morning. I have a I have to get my haircut that afternoon, um, which is very important. Um, That was uh, that was facetious. But while you're doing something important with your lab, I will go get a haircut. Um, I, uh, yeah, so I'm good for let, let's let's say nine fifteen because, like I said, I'm or nine right. nine thirty just because I may have to drop a kid off. Yep, and um, and that yeah, it gives me a little bit of time. Yeah, the only only thing is I just have to remember to uh, pack my microphone. Um, but that's that's not a problem. Okay, and that is. 183. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, we'll just go 9.30 until... Yeah, 9.30 to 11.30. That's, that's plenty. Of, that gives me time to get lunch before my student meeting. So, Oh, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do about lunch because our Harvest Cafe is closed. Oh, um, in the summer? Summer, right? yeah. Damn summer. Yeah. We got... Uh, you, are you guys going to graduation because your DGP stuff with all your uh, graduates? You know, I only go to the graduate school graduation and then only if it's a PhD student that um, wants me to hood them. So I'm yeah. not planning on going. We have. Do you guys do a departmental graduation? We do well? a departmental party, <clears throat> which we have historically held on 
the day of camp. So we have a university wide graduation. This is yep. the, the, yep. this is like there's like three people listening now. Um, yeah. People <laughs> love this. This is they're they're like trying to write down like there's a, someone's got a flowchart of all our graduation. Yeah. Um, so we have a university wide graduation, which is the, the big one in the stadium, right? Um, and that's the one that Obama spoke at. Um, you know, a bunch of years ago that was fantastic, right. and that was in commemoration of like uh, I don't know whatever hundred and. 225 years anyway some huge number of years that we've been around as a university um uh and that was that was pretty cool um i think that's i think that was that one um and then uh we do a uh a, a campus because uh, we don't have colleges anymore a campus graduation which is for our undergrads but i think i don't know if there's gra- if graduate students go to that one as well um and historically we've had a departmental gathering on that same day to cool. honor the graduates but we have we we took a change from that this year because that's our super busy day and people are busy with their families and and we, you know people sort of straggle out of graduation and then go and do it's in the campus is a madhouse so we said well, we said let's do something different this year and we just did it on the last day of classes. So we already did our, our departmental recognition ceremony. Gotcha. Okay. We do. So uh, we have a big graduation in the um, arena for everybody on Saturday morning this week. And then Saturday afternoon, all the departments have their own graduation. So it's like a um, and I think it's because like at the big, large one, like all the graduates don't get up on stage, like they're, they, you know, flash their names up on the, on the screen. The only people that actually go up on stage to get are, um, PhD students. Um, and so the departmental one is kind of like, you know, is there, is there a graduation? So it, it becomes important. Like lots of people go and I have, I have two students graduating, um, this week, one in my department and one in food science and, and the departments take a different approach for what graduation is. So the foods, food, bioprocess, nutrition science, um, the, the, uh, master students and PhD students go, go up on stage with their advisor and their advisor talks about them. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, nice. so I got, yeah. So I'm going to go do that. Cause I have a student who's, who's there in my home department. We don't do that. The students who go up on stage talk the, like say, um, you know, welcome their family and say, you know, thanks like an acceptance speech. Hmm. Um, and so, so there it's a, it, it, it's, it, it, it becomes like, it can be drawn out cause there's a lot of, a lot of people talking, but it is the, like, it starts, I think at one we'll finish at like four on Saturday oh, wow. afternoon. Yeah, it's like a long, you know, long thing. And then there's each department has, um, you know, someone from the college will come and and talk, and you you have a um, almost like a like a, a big graduation where there will be um, someone else who will be a graduation speaker at that graduation, and then the graduates. There's like someone who gives a speech on behalf of the graduates. Um, so it's like. It, that's at our, at my home, home department. So it's like, yeah, there, and that's just the way that that's evolved forever. Um, but with 10 call, 10 departments in our college, everybody's got like a different one. Um, and, but they all happen at the exact same time, one thirty on Saturday. So you can't like, I've, you know, I've can't, got these two students. Gotta, I can't go to both. You got to yeah. pick one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so I, I, I gave it, I gave that terrible task to the two students and said, okay, which one of you wants me to go the most, um, to yours and, 
and they they did not take the bait and said, no, that's that's your <laughs> good job. They're both ready yeah. to graduate. Yeah, they're smart. They're smart. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm um, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to the one where where someone gets to say something and okay. where I get to say something. So. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, yeah. that's seems logical. Um, and the other one, they can just videotape and send it to you. Right, and I'll be like, cool, good job. Um, so yeah, so that's my that's my Saturday. My kids, I always bring my kids. Danny always has a show mm. on graduation. So this will be like the fourth year that both kids have come to graduation where they sit in the back or outside of the graduation hall with an iPad and, and, and hopefully not fight each other. But being that we're at a land grant institution with food science departments, there are always all of these graduations are followed up by ice cream, howling cow ice cream made in, in our food science department. So, so that's the, that's the incentive for them. Their incentive. Yeah. Get some ice cream. So cool. All right. Well, um, good show. That was yeah, fun. That was good. Um, so I'll, uh, this one's mine. Um, I think I've got all the links. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll try to get it posted as soon as I can. Perfect. Um, I will, uh, not see you next week. Um, but I will see uh, a friend of the show, uh, Linda Harris. And, uh, this is the part of the show where we invite Linda on to our next episode. So Linda will be recording, um, uh, on, uh, Friday, uh, May 24th at, uh, it'll be a little bit early, uh, 6 30 AM, uh, West coast time. So, uh, you're welcome to join us. <laughs> and anybody else that uh, wants to come on, uh, you know, if you want to be a guest on the show, all you got to do is show up, uh, when we invite you Yep. Show up. and, so, and be yep. like, be like Larry, don't give up. <laughs> Don't be good. Yeah, exactly. And then be a great guest. He was fantastic. <laughs> he was really good. It's, uh, you know, it, the rhythm with three is different. It's really, it's hard to, uh, it's hard. It's, uh, and I, I, it was, it, it was fine. I mean, it ended up being good, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a different feel with three versus two. It is. Yeah. And you, you, you don't, I think we step on each other a little more, um, because of it. Yeah. Well, and, you, and, yeah. Yeah. And you, you, and we know each other's rhythms. We don't know Larry's rhythms. And then we've also got the interaction of Larry with us and, yeah, and then trying to figure out like like we we kind of know how a show goes, but the but the guest doesn't necessarily. So, but it, it worked out great. I think it, there's yeah. a lot of good content, a lot of good things we talked about. So, absolutely cool. All right, well, have a good weekend. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye bye.